and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and happy week two, everybody. If you got some waiver wire questions, please check out the Tuesday edition of this podcast. If you missed the week one games, you can check out the Monday edition of this podcast. But today, you're listening to this on a Wednesday, which means we are going game by game breakdown. And by we, I mean myself and Mr. Dwayne McFarland, PFF Senior Analyst, creator, almost said owner, creator of the Utilization Report, which you can find on pff.com. One of the best pieces of fantasy advice, goodness, that you can find out there on the old internet. Dwayne, we were talking about the, uh, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears you put into that baby over the past uh, 24 hours, but it is live, and you can now move on with your life, my friend. Yeah, man. Week one is always, it's the, it's the most fun week, but there's also the most to cover. And I, I'm going to be honest, by the time I, you know, and I went in alphabetical order, by the time I got to the last four teams, I mean, and I was just here alone, my kids and wife were all gone. And I literally, I dropped an F-bomb. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like I got to get this thing done. Like, and I don't be wrong. I love doing it. And I have a lot of passion around it. But when you crunch data for like, you know, 24 hours straight and your brain is mush. You know what I did to celebrate? I went and took a freaking nap, Ian, because <laughs> I was up until like one or two last night. I set my alarm and I got up at 4.30 this morning to come back in here and work on it and finish it. And I still didn't finish it until like almost 11. And I had to take my son to school in between. So once I submitted that thing, I waited to make sure there was no immediate like emergencies from the editor, like, hey, idiot, like you screwed all these things <laughs> up. And once that was good, I was like, all right, I took an hour and a half nap and I feel, I felt, I felt way better. I'm definitely sleep deprived at the moment. <laughs> from, uh, from Sunday to Wednesday in season, man, it's like, you know, I go to bed. I'm usually done working around midnight. I do some stuff during the day too. I'll try to get a workout and hang out with the fam a little bit, but usually it's like, you know, done working at midnight, wake up around seven to uh, get going again. But the second, my last thing is turned in on Thursday, bro. It could be 1 PM. It could be 2 PM. We're getting loose in the heart. It's how household at that point, man, like the wind. <laughs> Whiskey's flowing. I don't care, man. We don't have a normal seven day, you know, five to or eight, nine to five yeah. schedule, whatever the hell normal people do. So I'm not going to worry about it. But whatever, Dwayne, that's enough complaining between us. We love no complaining, man. Yeah, I, no love complaining. I, I love it. It's but it is like me adjusting to this to this work schedule. And it's just it's different like than what I had before. Uh, you know, honestly, it's easier because I love I just love everything that I'm doing. But yeah, I'm, I'm getting used to the oh, my God, I'm not getting any sleep for like two days. Either way, when you get to wake up and work on football, it's always a great day to be great. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. All 16 matchups week two. I'm going to take the away team. Dwayne's going to take the home team. We'll overlap a little bit. But the goal here, look, we can preview every single player in every matchup and talk for three hours. We're going to try to cut that in half, focus on just the most fantasy relevant takeaway from each team. So without further ado, let's get after it, people. First up, Thursday night football. We got the New York football giants at the Washington football team. Washington favored by three and a half points, down from four and a half. Week low, 41.5 point game total. So not expecting a lot of points in this one. Got to talk a little bit of Saquon Barkley here. Uh, a lot of us were disappointed at the usage and just the production uh, last week. That was literally Saquon's worst game ever, just 27 total yards. When he got hurt against the Bears last year, he still found a way to get 28 yards before exiting the game. Now, the Giants, you know, weren't really in that game in the fourth quarter. So his 47% snap rate, I think we see that get close closer to 60 and more of a neutral situation. But it's clearly a situation where Devontae Burker is going to be a little more involved 
than we were hoping for. And having this game be just three days after, you know, only three days of rest, I should say, uh, since Saquon's game on Sunday, you know, I'm not expecting a huge boost in production. I think in week three, that's when we can maybe, you know, start looking at, hey, 70, 80% get Saquon back to his usual role. For now, though, we need to downgrade him a bit. So, hey, it's not like we went into last week with Saquon as our overall RB5, RB6. We had him as RB16. There were a good group of guys to take ahead of him. I will be moving him down just a little bit more. I think he needs to be a little closer to the RB2 borderline than the RB1 borderline. So, Dwayne, stop me if, you know, any of these guys you think you would be not taking ahead of Saquon. David Montgomery, Clyde Eversolaire, Miles Sanders, Damian Harris. I think I'd start all of them over Saquon. Oh man. Yeah. With it being a Thursday night game, I get it. Honestly, I, I, yeah. Um, so like, I'm going to do my rankings tonight. Um, now that I've gotten the utilization. So it's, I haven't dug deep into saying this was who I would start or set, but I think that's the right range. They're not egregious calls. That's all right. It's the right range of guys. I think you're talking about, and I'm with you. I think if you drafted Saquon, hopefully you did it eyes wide open and you knew that really what your goal was is just kind of make it through the first few weeks and then have a potential top, top in, you know, RB one, the rest of the way. And I think that's still going to be intact. And honestly, that's what we should prefer. Right. Cause Saquon's really about the long game this season. You know, we don't want him to be doing this in week eight, but as long as it's only like the next, you know, say by week four, we start to see, you know, 80% of the old Saquon. And then by week six, we get a hundred nine, you know, a hundred percent or 90%. Like we'll all be fine. It would make sense, again, having the long recovery after the Thursday night game in week two. Going to week three, I'm really hoping we see the snap counts and the touches get back to normal. We're not, you know, completely putting him on the back burner, though, people. I would still start Saquon ahead of Miles Gaskin, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, James Robinson, Devin Singletary, probably. Like, guys that also have touch concerns, okay, I'm taking Saquon over them, but it's a volume game. So when we have guys like Damian Harris, who is probably going to get 20 rush attempts more weeks than not, I just got to take that guaranteed volume and someone like miles sanders who is the more you know just cemented lead back right now in a better you know matchup just it's not a great matchup for him either but either way 41.5 point game total like i said this just is not the environment unfortunately to expect saquon to pop off so like 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 dwayne said you know we'll have our ranks up on pff.com by wednesday morning i'm anticipating those saquon probably being in that rb20 to rb3 rb23 24 range so not a must start this week still saquon barkley he's always one carry away from making it you know worth your while in there but just you know for another week at least we need to be conservative with our saquon rb1 season talk now, Dwayne, Washington football team, we've got Taylor Heineke under center. Sorry to anyone out there that was, you know, relying on Ryan Fitzpatrick as a streamer option. Antonio Gibson, though, getting fed, 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 and hopefully Terry McLaurin can make do with the targets. Who are you most interested here in this spot? Yeah, this this whole team, is it's a blow, man. Losing, you know, Fitzpatrick. I know he's a journeyman, whatever, but we're talking about fantasy football, and Fitzpatrick is good for fantasy football Taylor Heineke's not good for fantasy football. This is a down. I mean, this makes, in my mind, this makes Terry McLaurin a wide receiver three. He was a top end wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside every single week that you started in when you had Fitzpatrick. And remember, that's what we talked about. We were super excited about this element of really McLaurin's game that we hadn't really seen uncorked and that we were going to get that with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And now that's gone again. And this team also has a really good defense. So I just see a game against the Giants where Again, Thursday night, not a lot of time to prep. I think they're just going to try to win this game however they can. I don't I don't really want to use any of the Washington receivers if I can avoid it. 
I know you drafted McLaurin in the third round. If you're starting three receivers in the league, he's probably got to be in your lineup. But I, it's, it's not the time to be cute with Diami Brown, Adam Humphreys, any of these other guys, which you're probably not anyway. Antonio Gibson, obviously you're going to start him. Um, got 0% of the long down and distance work, 0% of the two-minute offense. But doesn't really matter because he got 80% of the rushing attempts, which we also talked about that as well, that if as long as Peyton Barber was out of the way, even if McKissick stayed in his passing down role – Gibson can essentially then be more like a Jonathan Taylor. Actually, he got more, more of the rushing attempts for his team than anybody besides Derrick Henry this last week. Henry was at 85% and Antonio Gibson was at 80%. So he's in a good spot. And even with that, 50% routes, man. Um, so they're getting him out there on first and second down, even though J.D. McKissick's getting in the game on third down and long in those other situations. And man, a 33% targets per route run. Like that is super healthy. So they're designed. What that tells you is, they're designing things for him, Ian. So even if he's only out there on first and second down, whenever they're designing things, just like they're doing for Jonathan Taylor, right. that's a good thing. Yeah, we'll get to Jonathan Taylor in a bit, but his usage, even though we have Naeem Hines working there, and even though J.D. McKissick is still getting those long uh, down distance snaps, like having a 25 potential touch or floor, you know, 20 touch floor, like we'll work with that. Even if we don't yeah. get the Christian McCaffrey rule, we're all begging for, he'll still be an RB1 with this. And we've seen it with Derrick Henry, right? I mean, Derrick Henry, because his percentage of the team's rushing attempts was always so high, it was enough to offset yeah. that he didn't get any of the passing down work. Now, a bad game script can kick you in the, you know what, like, and it did this last week for Henry. It really got him because he hadn't had to thread that needle very often where the Titans were just getting blown out. So I worry that could still be something for Antonio Gibson, but he's still used far more in the passing game than what Derrick Henry is. And just so people know real quick, just to kind of tee this up. So when you think about the way, the way running backs get their targets, Ian talks about it all the time as a cheat code. So on first and second down, most running backs get about 50% of their targets. So even if you don't get any long down and distance, you don't get any of the two minute offense, you can be okay, especially if your team is going above and beyond in the way they're handling you. Because typically on first and second down, you don't get a target per route rate of 30% like Gibson C. So that tells you they're trying to get in the ball. Then if you look at long down and distance, it's actually the least valuable of all the data points that I bring you as far as what it's, it does matter. Um, but you're not going to get a ton of points out of being the long down and distance back and a PPR. The other role that's really important is the two minute, the two minute offense back is the one you really want to own from just a reception standpoint in a PPR format. It's the most valuable snaps for a running back are the two minute offense um, snap. So when you hear me talk about two minute offense, long down and distance early down, that kind of gives you an idea in your mind. You know what the equation is. You're like, okay, early and down is worth this long down and distance worth this two minutes worth this. You want them to have it all. Because right. that's where you get the uncapped upside of an 80 to 100 target season and the right offense. Um, so if if you're only getting first and second down work, you know, you're probably you're hoping to get to the 50 reception mark. But that could still be good. And you could still potentially beat it if you're in a situation like what Gibson is, where they're trying to really design plays. So sorry for the derail. But I think that's kind of like good context, really, for the whole season, because people are going to hear me talking about this stuff. Uh, you're good. And I think the McLaurin, you know, the wide receiver three statement, it kind of took me a little bit back at first, but yeah, I think so people. I mean, one of the big takeaways I had in my uh, QB superlative piece, which you can find on PFF.com, Heineke dropped back to pass on just 18 of his 34 snaps. I mean, that's a 53% rate last year in the league's most run heavy offense. Lamar Jackson was at 51%. So obviously Heineke runs around a little bit too, but this offense is about to go through Antonio Gibson. Doesn't mean McLaurin won't make some plays. He had that fantastic, I believe, you know, 37 yard catch down the sideline, like ballers are going to ball, but 
McLaurin, yeah, we're not getting that Fitz, Fitz magic, you know, just centered DGAF, YOLO ball, number one receiver you just, ball. You're not going to get, you're, yeah, yeah, you're just not going to get the explosion game. You know, you're not going to get, because I'm telling you, it was coming. With Fitzpatrick, you were going to see the games where it was like, holy crap, you know, we just saw 150 yards and two touchdowns from McLaurin. You're not going to get those kind of weeks. But you could, to your point, he's still going to make plays. You're, you're going to have the five for 70 and you're hoping for a touchdown. You know, that can still happen. It sucks, people, but, you know, it's kind of like the sunk cost fallacy. Like, don't just keep starting McLaurin because you use a third-round pick on him. We need to start him when it matters based on what we're projecting to happen moving forward. Don't let yesterday's mistake influence tomorrow's start-sit decision. Moving right along, we got the Raiders at the Steelers. Pittsburgh sitting as five-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total at 48. Holy hell, Darren Waller. If you guys had, you know, a fantasy matchup swinging in the balance last night, I think it went from, like, Oh my God, Derek Carr, can you please get the ball to your number one option too? Thank you, Carr and Waller for just, my goodness, Dwayne, it was one target after another. It was pretty enjoyable to watch. And, you know, using some of the cool PFF uh, tools we had behind the scenes, we can see truly just how ridiculous this usage was. So one of the cool things I like to look at is who is getting targets on the quarterback's first read. You said before, Dwayne, you know, we want to find guys that are getting designed the looks. So Last week, we had, let's see, eight total players get 10-plus targets as their quarterback's first read. Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb had 14. Darren Waller in third with 13. Also have Mike Williams with 12. TJ Hawkinson with 11. Chris Godwin, Stephon Diggs, and Keenan Allen each with 10. So, all right, people. Now, again, 13 first read targets for Darren Waller. I believe he finished with 18 overall. Now, I'm just, you know, in your head right now, I want you to guess how many targets Darren Waller is on pace to get in this 17-game season? I'll give you like three seconds of silence. Got your guess? Cool. 323 targets, Dwayne. That's our pace right now for Darren Waller. You know, maybe he doesn't finish above that, but we could be looking at the first tight end in NFL history to have a target total starting with a two. With that said, the usage for the wide receivers was concerning because in terms of total pass routes, we have Waller at 55. And then it fell off a freaking cliff. Brian Edwards, 39. Hunter Renfro, 37. Henry Ruggs, 35. Zay Jones, 17. Willie Sneed, 2. We also had Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake essentially in a 50-50 split down the middle. Credit to Jacobs for falling to the end zone twice. He seems to do that every single week one, the Sammy Watkins of running backs, if you will. But, you know, Dwayne, I'm just not confident still in anyone in this offense other than Darren Waller. Go get Brian Edwards on your roster. He looked great, and I would think that the talent he displayed will earn him more targets down the line. But if week one taught us anything, is that the backfield is more split than we've seen in the past. And my goodness, this entire passing game is going through Darren Waller. So let me know if you, you know, think that we should be more on any of these other pieces and then hit me with some Steelers goodness. No, I mean, I think it is pretty much Darren Waller. I was interested to see, you know, Brian Edwards get a little more involved towards the he end looked, of that game. He looked game. great. It just, the usage wasn't quite there. Yeah. So, but it's a, just watching the game. It's one of those where you're like, okay, there could be something there, you know? So it's such a situation to monitor, but yeah, if you own Darren Waller, um, you spent, you know, a second round pick on him, this is what you wanted to see and you're getting it. So yeah, I think you're, you're hitting it the nail on the head, Josh Jacobs, gutty performance. You know, he's obviously got a lot of issues going on. Um, doesn't look his normal self, but, um, but yeah, it's all about Waller and that offense. As far as Pittsburgh goes, Man, so we've got a different offense, um, but it was pretty much the under center stuff was like, eh, just kidding. 
I'm, I'm Ben Roethlisberger. Not going to do that. Uh, 91% of his plays came from shotgun. You know, Matt Canada really wanted to use more under center and all that. But what I will say, man, 34% of the passing attempts were with play action. Ben Roethlisberger last year, I don't have it in front of me, Ian, but I want to say it was like 11% of his passes. It was the worst in the league. I think you're right, yeah. Were play action. It was really low. It was right around 10%, folks. So forgive us if we're off by a percent or so. Moral of the story, it was last by a long way in the league. So that was encouraging, but man, the pace of play, they use so much motion and all this stuff for the snap, which is great because it can create all these, you know, uh, offensive mismatches, man, only 58 plays in the game, um, you know, 2.2 plays per minute, 66% pass, 34% run. So um, it, I, I think they're still trying to figure out what this offense is, Ian. Um, but the big takeaway here is, man, there is no back in the league that's more of an every down back than Najee Harris. 100 percent of, of the snaps. I mean, I guess I don't really even need to say anything else, right? Like once you say 100 percent of the snaps, it's like, what else can I really say, you know, about the guy? But 80 percent of the rushing attempts, he was in a route on 82 percent of dropbacks, 10 percent targets, um, only 10 percent targets per route run. So it's not like they're designing a lot of things for him. Uh, but look, when you get a young player on the field all the time, and guys, Buffalo's defense is not is not a bad defense, and that was it. And I was also a game where the Steelers knew. Like you're gonna have to keep scoring points. You know, you can never relax in that game. Be like, oh, well, we got you know Taylor Heineke on the other side of the field. No, you got Josh Allen. So I think that does dictate some of the game plan. Last note that I would put out there on the Steelers, and I know I'm heavy utilization here, guys, but I just got through writing this thing, and there's so many goodies like for you to go check out. But Deontay Johnson, man. You know, only out there for 84% of the routes because he did get hurt. That's the one thing you got to watch out. Got knocked off the field a few times. But man, targets per route run, 31%. So when you guys hear me say that, it's obviously exactly what I mean. For the time that the receiver's on the field running a route, meaning the quarterback could have thrown him a ball, he was targeted on 31% of those. And I love that metric because when you have some players that aren't getting on the field as much and you're trying to figure out, well, what could they be like if they could be on the field more, it can be a good indicator. Now it's a stat that will move around on you week to week. You really want like more of a three or four week sample size, but all we have is week one. So I'm excited to share week one, but 31% for Deontay is huge. 32% of the team targets still that short a dot, which we were wondering, Hey, can somebody getting those short passes in this offense succeed when we're going to see more under center? Well, the under center thing went away. It was really more like the Steelers offense from last year just kind of dressed up with some different things so i think deontay's great um claypool's routes jumped up to 82 percent, which he had been down in the 60s high 60s and low 70s last year so i think that's going to be a positive thing it didn't necessarily show up for him in the box score but juju's the guy never leaving the field i know everybody wants juju to be dead but 100 percent of the routes 23 percent of the targets he was second on the team um so it's still going to be a three-way split here between these guys but this offense is going to need to figure out what it's going to be in because if they do decide to run to go slower and they decide to run the ball more then one of these guys is going to be the odd odd receiver out every week like there's just no getting around it we're not going to have a situation where we can if if you own one and i own one and somebody else owns one we all just start them every week we could start facing situations where we're like eh, do i want to play a clay pool or do i want to play someone else so that's that's going to be the thing to really be monitoring over the next couple of weeks 
Credit to Juju. He had one particular play where I think he broke two tackles and like that's yeah. just been missing from him. That kind of yak ability. Uh, Claypool skied up and monster Davius White on one. Like he's the man. And Deontay, like like we've been talking about all off season. You know, if you don't worry about the freaking drops, which he hasn't been doing in the year 2021, you have a great receiver. So, uh, yeah, man, it's going to be tough if the volume's not going to be there for the guys. But plenty of good offensive pieces for Pittsburgh in real life, and that was a great win to see them get. After a lot of people were already starting to. Run them off in the off season. Sorry about the alarm. That was, Hey, it's time to start your pod with Ian, but we went early. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was also just saying like, Hey, yeah, might be an issue with these wide receivers. Dwayne. It's all coming. Back <laughs> We've together. got an alarm going off. Uh, yep. <laughs> 49ers at the Eagles, San Fran sitting as three and a half point favorites opened at 48 points with the game total that is up to 50. So it was interesting today because, you know, Dwayne and I talked about this San Francisco team a lot on the uh, wave of our podcast. So I won't go too deep here, but um, our PFF and I reporter Doug uh is it keyed I should know this Doug, yeah I, I yeah. believe so I believe okay. so I, I was thinking it was Kyed but Kyed. you're probably right either way Doug great his job and as someone with a fellow hard last name to pronounce sometimes I'm going to give myself a pass on that one but basically like I just tweeted it would be a lot easier to believe that Ayuk was having this hamstring problem that's why he didn't play if he wasn't out there returning punts like special teams to me is the position group like your best players don't play special teams Dwayne like when I was in high school man sophomore year I'm out there on like every single special team senior year I remember like just I I don't have good hands that's why I played defense and I remember they put me out there on kick return before a game one time I was just like coach I don't feel confident if they kick this ball to me like put someone else in there he said okay Ian sounds good like Brandon Ayuk was not on punt return because he wanted to be out there he was on punt return because he is a backup receiver at this point or he's just a number three rotating with Trent Sherfield. so I don't mean pure backup but either way he is not the number one that is Debo Samuel people I am not buying Brandon Ayuk being limited with a hamstring injury because if that was the case why was he out there to begin with so I really do think Trent Sherfield, as annoying as it is that you know we didn't know about this until now is going to be consistently involved as a number two and with this 49ers offense Almost anywhere else in the league, we wouldn't have to really worry about this because the number three receiver would still be out there a lot. We also have Muhammad Sanu, and we have Kyle Juszczyk playing out there a ton. Of course, we have Kittle and some other multi-tight end sets they're doing as well. So right now, Dwayne, Elijah Mitchell, I think, needs to be everyone's number one waiver claim. I know we talked yesterday about a roughly 25 to 30%. Yeah, you got to bump it now. I was about to say, I think we – can we go all the way up to 50 I, I I actually had submitted this article and I immediately, as soon as I saw that news, I wrote one of our awesome editors, Ben Cooper. I was like, Hey man, bump that to 30 to 50%. Okay. Hey, that's what it's going to take to get him. Yeah. You know? So the way I handle these things, you know, as I play in 25 leagues, Ian and I, we've got a team together. I will go put somewhere between 25 and 50% of fab on him on every single team Wednesday night. I will win some of those. I will lose some of those. And everyone will be a little different based on the team. Like if I'm sitting there stacked with four running backs, I'm going to go 25%, maybe a little over just to make sure that nobody else gets them for free, but I'm not going to go nuts with my fab. If I'm on a team where I basically ignored RB2, you can, you can bet your ass I may be at like 52 53% trying to make sure that I get the player. And it could be maddening, folks. Next week, we talked about this yesterday, so I won't go too long. Next week, would we be surprised, Ian, if we the game turns on, 
Trey Sermon starting the game. Like that's what, that's the crap Shanahan, Shanahan and Arians, man. They drive me freaking insane. Arians today with Rojo's the starter. I'm like, this is okay. Whatever. With that, I wouldn't be surprised. I am confident that at a minimum, Mitchell is going to be a part of the two back. Yes. Cause that's the agree. question. Like was Mostert going to be the featured bell cow workhorse, every snap guy. I don't think so. I think we were probably going to see him be the, Clear cut number one guy, but I think Mitchell was probably going to flirt with, you know, that 10 touch mark, regardless of if Mostert had got hurt. So don't expect 25 carries a week, but that's fine. We were drafting both Mostert and Sermon as top 30 backs just for their role in a committee in the first place. That's now what we have on the table with Elijah Mitchell. So don't throw Chase Sermon out the window. Keep him on your squad if at all possible. But right now, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, those are the guys we can start and we can have confidence in. And again, if you guys want more just specifics on the uh, you know waiver wire uh, way to go about Ayuk and some of these other things, check out the Tuesday pod. But Dwayne, Eagles, man, I, now, I'll just I'll start with this because I've seen a real quick. I've seen a lot of people giving Hertz a ton of credit and he does deserve it because last year he was like literally our worst uh, graded passer in a variety of efficiency statistics. And he improved a lot with that. I will say, though, Dwayne, I, I, I found this stat today. He only had one hundred nine air yards in the entire game. So. Hey, we don't care how he picks up the passing yard style. Yeah, his eight was 3.6. Let's not crown I mean, him just yet. That's all I'm saying. And now yeah. the floor is yours. Yeah. No, I mean, here's all you need to know about Jalen Hurts, though. You need to just know that 13% of the designed rushing attempts, meaning the play was designed for him to run, not him scrambling. And then he scrambled on 7%. So when you get 20% of the team's rushing attempts going to the quarterback, it doesn't matter. His ADOC could be zero and he's still going to be good. So Jalen Hurts, I mean, lock him in QB five week one. Um, this is exactly what you were hoping for. And, and yeah, there weren't a lot of air yards, but you know what? There's a lot of great stuff going on. Run after the catch. Devontae Smith was matched up against a linebacker or safety on 71% of his freaking routes. So, I mean, they're doing some nice things. Now that also scares me because I'm like, please don't like, like when receivers work inside so much, like, and it's, this is not a BMI thing, guys, but I always worry about receivers getting hurt when they work inside. Typically the guys you see play those kind of roles are Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Michael Thomas, um, Chris Godwin's another good example. I mean, they're bigger guys, you know, so, cause you can take a beating, but Devonta Smith actually looks pretty smart about how he takes contact. Um, man, they were designing rub routes, all sorts of stuff to him. Um, just to really spring him open. That's how he caught the touchdown pass was on a nice little rub route. So I'm super excited about Devonta Smith. I think he's locked in, like locked in as a wide receiver three, but man, he's got a wide receiver two upside already. And I, I wonder like, are we just going to get more and more excited about Devonta Smith as the season goes on 23% of the targets and around on 95% of the time average depth of target, 8.6, 55% of the air yards, 50% of the end zone targets and 43% of the third down targets. He was Jalen Hurts dude by far no one else was close on third down targets the next closest was goddard at 29 percent. end zone targets goddard split with him at 50 percent. so really it's Devonta smith and goddard do not go for the jalen rager show folks 71 percent of the routes he's still not out there all the time quez watkins is splitting he's a first round pick he should be out there all the time him not being out there all the time tells you enough not saying players can't get better not saying they can't get better but average depth of target 1.2 Okay, so they're trying to scheme things up. He had one really long play off of a play like that where he actually scored a touchdown just because he had to basically run in a straight line. Now, maybe that gets his confidence going, maybe gets excited. But this story is really all about Devonta Smith and about Jalen Hurts. I will say Zach Hurts did hurt his hamstring during the game. And so we'll just have to monitor that. If he's out, Dallas Goddard gets a nice bump this week. 
Yeah, Goddard goes back to where we had him all freaking summer when we kept getting the Zachary <laughs> Buffalo trade rumors yeah. every damn week. Yeah, the wild stat I found with Devontae Smith, and again, league low air yards in week one, so small grain of salt, but he was one of only five receivers with at least 50% of the offense's air yards exactly. right there with Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, Calvin Ridley, and Tyler Lockett. So when Hurts will start throwing downfield a little bit more, it's going to be to Devontae Smith, people. Texans at the Browns. Cleveland is up to a 12 and a half point favorite after opening at 11 and a half. Vegas is not buying the Texans week one. Against the Houston juggernaut? The Houston juggernaut. Mark Aaron can't be stopped. <laughs> 48 point <laughs> game total. Yeah, people look, we're not doing it. Other than Brandon <laughs> Cooks, who looked good out there, man. And for, for Cooks, like this year is awesome for him because he was someone that I think could be viewed as just he benefited from playing with Drew Brees, with Tom Brady, with Deshaun Watson, and one good version of Jared Goff. Like his only bad year came in the one year Goff was bad. So that's why a lot of people, even when Cooks was going as like the wide receiver 40 uh, throughout the offseason just weren't willing to buy in man these were not empty yards man cooks balled out like the second drive of the game or something he came down with this wild contested catch that i almost thought was picked but hey he had he had the catch anyway so whatever and then later the one that everyone probably saw was when tyrod extended the play chucked it downfield again and cooks was able to come up with the contested play so that's not even like what we're used to. we're used to seeing defenders 10 yards behind cooks after he cooked them <laughs> And, uh, you know, and he does this thing there. Oh, I hate myself for that, but whatever, people. Um, and so, anyway, look, players with more air yards in week one. This is only on, like, seven targets. Tyreek Hill, DJ Chark, Darren Waller, C.D. Cooper, Manny Sanders, and Antonio Brown. That is freaking it. So, we hope that this offense can give us one fantasy-relevant receiver. They are. It is Brandon Cooks. And so, 43% air yard team share. That ranks ninth. All the numbers are pointing us in the right direction. And going up against the Browns, yeah, Denzel Ward's great. He hasn't shadowed since, I believe, week one of 2019, people. So in my personal ranks, I'm not, you know, putting Cooks as a top 10 or even top 20 guy. I do think, though, you know, he, I, where he, he had him before, kind of around that wide receiver three borderline, get him up to, like, that wide receiver 30 range because, again, he's a great player with a great role and an offense that is not great but at least is a little bit more passable than I think we thought before, Dwayne. So. Now let's talk a little bit of Cleveland Browns who, you know, took the L, but damn, at least they kept this one close because if you guys remember the last two week ones, they got blown out by the Ravens, blown out by the Titans. Crazy stat I heard on the broadcast. The Browns haven't won a week one game since 2004. So sucks Cleveland, but hey, you gave the defending AFC champs one hell of a shot. Dwayne, what stuck out to you most about that game? Yeah, number one, you can cut Donovan Peoples-Jones. Like if, if we were just hoping that, Maybe he's the handcuffed OBJ. Once OBJ is back, there's just, you know, I don't think there's a point. And, and I like the player, but a lot of you have a lot of tough decisions to make this week. So if he's a guy you have on your roster, I think you can easily cut him. Uh, was in a route 88% of the plays, but man, only targeted on 3% of the routes he ran. Like that's, that's abysmal. Um, and typically when you see a number like that, it's not just like they were trying to lock Donovan people, people's Jones down with double coverage. They, you know, the chiefs probably don't even know who he is. Um, so it's, it's a situation where if you were kind of hoping like he was your stash, I, I rotate stashes quick. Like I don't need a lot of data to know. It's like, I'm moving on from him going to the next player. And as far as the Browns, just the big thing, man, is like, God, this backfield, like it's so 
I, I love both players, but it just irritates me. Like, why do they have to be together? Like, these are two fantasy RB1s playing on the same team. Um, Nick Chubb, 52% of snaps. Kareem Hunt, 47%. Rushing, 56% to Chubb, 22% to Kareem Hunt. So Chubb's the clear leader in the clubhouse around rushing. But then routes, 48% to Kareem Hunt, 27% to Nick Chubb. Targets, 10% versus 7% in favor of Kareem Hunt. And so the, the here's the part that I don't like the most, Ian, is Kareem Hunt also – and we saw this last year, 75% of the short down and distance snaps. And so when I say short down and distance, folks, what that means is it's one or two yards to go and it's second, third or fourth down, right? Because that's most likely a rundown. On second down, it's a little less because teams will take shots with play action. Typically, once you get to third and fourth down, those are running downs in the NFL these days, even as we progress towards, hey, you should just pass every single play and just use play action and never run. Um, you know, it's, it's still the case. So it's just kind of a maddening thing. And, and my only point being here, um, Nick Chubb scored two touchdowns to save you. If he doesn't score those two touchdowns, it's going to be a rough week. Now, the positive you can say is, well, they don't have to play the Chiefs every week, and he survived that, and that's true. Um, but Kareem Hunt kind of got written off a little bit this year because people dra- people overdrafted him last year. And so what happens when you overdraft a commodity? The next year, the reaction is, well, now nah, I'm just going to let it slide. He probably slid a little too far. This is the exact kind of matchup that you were looking for with Kareem Hunt you know, because he plays 85% of the two-minute offense, plays 67% of the long down distance. He's the guy that's out there in the passing situations. So when you own these two players, you're always going to start Nick Chubb. But when you have Hunt, it's something where you're kind of looking for, okay, is the line big? Are they dogs? You know, by a lot. And so I think this is a game when you start looking at it, you know, open at 48, it's getting up to 50. It's still, still going to be competitive at three and a half. We saw what the Lions running backs did. The Lions running backs destroyed the 49ers. So I think this is a big week for both Chubb and Hunt. Hold on. You're talking 49ers, bro. Oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah we, not we're bad. Facing the was, Texans. Texans. It's even better. Yeah, sorry. Spots. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the Eagles and 49ers. So, yeah, okay, no, it's an absolute smash. It doesn't matter. I, I mean, everything you said smash. in the first 90% still. Play. Yes, and it's the Texans. Sorry. Like, I just – I didn't scroll down far enough. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> All good, brother. But, yeah. Yes. Uh, but, no, it's even better, right? It's 48% total and 12-and-a-half-point favorites. I mean, this is a huge chub game, actually. And you better have a good reason, I think, for putting Kareem Hunt on the bench. I think when we do our start sit on Sunday, Dwayne, the majority of questions with Kareem Hunt, we're going to be saying start. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And now we have another atrocious team to talk about. Broncos at the Jaguars. Denver sitting as six-point favorites. Game total of 45. And you want to talk split backfields. Like, Dwayne, I saw you tweet this and, you know, use a table from utilization report. But, yeah, Denver, 50-50 right down the middle, pretty much everything. That was their exact overall snap splits. Melvin Gordon had 11 carries and three targets. Javante Williams, 14 carries and one target. Credit to the Broncos' offensive line. Only the Eagles averaged more yards before contact per carry. Obviously, you know, Teddy can move around a little bit. He had a couple of nasty stiff arms last week, which I enjoyed seeing. It doesn't even make sense. Teddy with a stiff arm. With, with his, two, his two gloves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying, like, he's not giving you necessarily, you know, the Jalen Hurts, the Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, like read option giant holes. So that's why I'm like, Eagles average more yards before contact per carry. But like, I always see there's Lamar, there's the Cardinals and the Ravens are always at the top. And then you see the 49ers and it's like, okay, they're not getting that from Jimmy G. They're getting that because of Kyle Shanahan. So to me, that tells you a lot about the Broncos scheme and their offensive line, but also credit to these backs. They were sixth in yards after contact per carry combined. So Javante managed to force four missed tackles on his runs. And now we get the Jaguars who I just think, you know, until we see any sort of evidence that week one was a fluke, we need to start guys against this defense with reckless abandonment. 
abandon people. So I think at this point, both backs are in the upside RB3 territory. And again, we're doing the ranks tonight, but I'm going to try to squeeze both of these guys in my top 30, top 32. We need to try to exploit this matchup as much as possible. Thankfully, Jerry Judy, not out the whole year, but for four to six weeks, that's obviously not going to be great. KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, you know, Dwayne and I talked about this on the waiver wire pod. It's just going to be tough to expect Teddy in this offense to enable more than I think one fancy relevant receiver. And that should be Cortland Sutton. So unfortunately Sutton caught, you know, the James Bradbury shadow last week, Bradbury historically does very well against those sort of big body, more physical receivers expecting more of a bounce back here in week two and beyond. So Cortland Sutton, don't be surprised if he comes back in a major way and try to find a way to get these running backs in your starting lineup. Now, Dwayne, this was one of, the only game I still have to watch is a little bit more of that Rams bears game. Although I caught a good amount of it in real time. And I will say this about Trevor Lawrence, you know, he made a couple of boneheaded plays, but man, you saw the talent with, you know, the touchdown passes, man hurts uh, freaking Jones at the end and DJ Chark down the sideline. Like if they can what, just what a great the- football name, by the way, man hurts. Man like, hurts. That's a great, it's like, like I hurt man football guy (laughs) no doubt about it but like as bad as that week one was I still think you know if you're a Trevor Lawrence stand like nothing about what happened should be making you nervous about his future yeah I think the big thing with Lawrence really is we just want to see more of the rushing you know only six percent design rush attempts if you had asked me I would have thought that number would be closer to 10 12 percent something like that Um, and zero percent scrambles so if he could just get the legs going, what he's doing in the air is enough. I mean, a 9.2 a dot times uh, average time to throw 2.6. I mean, that's, that's, those are two really good numbers together. When you think about how far he's pushing down the field and he's not taking three seconds to do it, you know, yards per attempt was down to six and a half, but it's a situation where, um, I'm mostly going to fade the Jaguars this week just because it is, I think, a tougher matchup. But if I were to play someone, the guy that really stood out to me, Ian, from a utilization perspective, is really DJ Chark. So, I mean, DJ Chark had 196 air yards this past weekend. Now, they couldn't hardly connect on anything. But if they continue to try, DJ Chark is, in my opinion, he's the most explosive young receiver on this team that can do everything. I do. I like Levis Fishnall, but he's really more of an underneath, you know, slot type weapon. And he's not a blazer. He's just a, he's a rugged player is the way I would describe, would describe Levis Fishnall. But 25% targets per route run for DJ Chark. So he and Lawrence are clearly trying to get something going there. I know Marvin Jones outscored him in the box score because he caught that touchdown um, later in the game. But DJ Chark also caught a touchdown. Um, and if he could just convert more of that, I believe it was two of 10 targets that he caught. So they just were not on the same page. But anytime you see that type of air yards and you see an opportunity where there could be potential chemistry, you know, starting to get going between two young players, that's something that I want to be a part of. So it's, it's really the DJ Chark show for me in this receiver. Yeah, only Tyreek Hill had more overall air yards on the week, and that's good company to be in. I realized that, you know, a little bit more prayer yard variety with chart compared to Tyreek with Mahomes last week, but still people, it's a hell of a lot better than, you know, not having that many air yards like the rest of the Jags receivers. Moving right along, we got the Saints at the Panthers. New Orleans sitting as three and a half point favorites. Game total down to 44 after opening at 46. So we touched on Jameis and Jawan Johnson in our waiver wire pod. Jameis was awesome. Five touchdowns. That's great. Also, the fewest amount of passing yards in NFL history for someone that threw five touchdowns. So let's see what happens in a game where they're not able to pretty much instill their will on the ground and give Jameis these wide open play action opportunities. And with Jawan Johnson, what was his total snaps, Dwayne? 12, 10? 
<laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, yes, it was brutal. really low. It was like, yeah, um, I'll pull it up while you're talking. You all keep going. Of those, I'm gonna... All of those ill-fated <laughs> Adam Troutman best ball teams from the summer, man, just Undertaker, Jiffin, all over the place because he was out there 82% of the way. It's still not ideal. I mean, we wanted Troutman getting those targets that Jawan Johnson was getting as well. So I'm not saying Troutman's like right back in the top 10 discussion or anything yet, but it was encouraging. I don't think we're going to see him completely phased out of this offense, but for right now it's just the Alvin Kamara show but boy is it the Alvin Kamara show 73% snap rate I mean he only hit 70% last year in five of 15 games Sean Payton you know naturally like smartly has always been hesitant to use Kamara in this true workhorse role until the games really start to matter but I think his hands just a little bit forced at this point so even in the first three quarters of this game because this one did turn to a route uh you know pretty quickly and definitely in the fourth quarter but Kamara in the first three quarters he held leads and snaps 41 versus 13 carries 18 versus seven and targets four versus one over the artist known as Tojo. So Tony Jones still good to have on your bench. He's one of the better handcuffs out there. I don't think we're getting any standalone value with him though. He's yeah. Kamara, 64% of the rushing attempts through the third quarter. I looked at that as well. Um, that folks, his high for his career has been 45. Like Kamara's probably if McCaffrey's not the RB one, it's Kamara at this Ooh. point, like, like, Kamara's going to out. He's going to out. He's going to finish ahead of Dalvin Cook. Wow. Big words from Mr. McFarlane. That's still our top three. You know, I don't think it matters too yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, you're still going to love Dalvin Cook, but, but it's tough. It's just fun because you don't usually get to have an elite player like that that you actually get to put in as an upgrade in your upgrade call. It's like, how do you upgrade Alvin Kamara? But it did actually happen. RB3 to RB2. Let's get crazy, people. <laughs> I like it. All right, Dwayne. We got the Panthers. Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that Sam Darnold was fantastic. He had a much better first half and second half. I will go there. Did some good things out there, but I like to think, Dwayne, you got something good to say about our boy DJ Moore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Sam Darnold, what was crazy was 19% of the design rushing attempts. Like that threw me off. I actually sent a note to our folks that run our awesome tool um, just saying, is this right? Like <laughs> Sam Darnold's getting all these design rushing looks. But then I thought back last year, even Teddy had a few of those. So, I mean, maybe that's right. Um, but 28% play action, you know, for Darnold, 8.1 ADOT. So, I mean, it's a situation where they didn't have to throw a lot. I mean, they were ahead 59% of the plays during the game and they only threw 50% of the time whenever they were playing with the lead. So I do think there's some, some meat on the bone for Darnold and this passing game. So it's something just to keep an eye on. And look, as soon as I say that Darnold's going to come out and suck, and then you guys are all going to bomb me on Twitter and fine, whatever. We all know that Darnold has sucked through this point in his career, but yes, DJ Moore, man, led the team in routes. Led the team in targets 24%. Led the team in, tar well, he was second in targets per route run, technically 1% uh -oh. behind Terrace Marshall there we go. Jr. Um, so you got to make sure you get your Terrace Marshall Jr. love. But man, it's just, and we talked about it a little bit, so I'll finish this one up quick. But, you know, 11.4 ADOT, 34% of the air yards. What I love about DJ Moore this year, um, and we talked about it in the preseason, he's working more short and underneath. And so it's almost like the, the snaps that were going to Curtis Samuel last year are now kind of being divvied up between CMC and DJ Moore and who's attacking intermediate versus who's attacking short. And at least in this game, one data point, Robbie Anderson was really being used to more stretch the field. And if DJ Moore truly is in that role, we could really see some good things. 25% of his targets came on play action, um, but it was Terrace Marshall. We mentioned this 50% of Sam Darnold's third down targets went to Terrace Marshall. So that tells you he's got some trust in the rookie. 
Yeah, DJ Moore, someone I was lower on than most this offseason because I thought he was going to have the same, you know, kind of one-trick pony field stretcher role he had last year. Seems like that is Robbie now, and I will accordingly be moving DJ up and up, you know, firmly in that upside wide receiver two discussion week in and week out. Love that they are finally giving him the sort of, you know, featured target share that a player of his talents deserves. We got the Los Angeles Rams at the Indianapolis Colts. Rams sitting as four-point favorites, game total about 47 and a half. Daryl Henderson, 94% snap rate, people. 94%. Only guy that beat that was Mr. 100%. Najee Harris got 16 of 17 RB rushes, only one target. This is not the Todd Gurley, we're going to break fantasy football role. Like he was doing a ton of great things in the passing game. Obviously, Sean McVay, you know, Matthew Stafford, they want to chuck that ball 50 yards downfield. They're not going to waste time, you know, going check downs to Henderson all game long. But with that said, man, I think we're looking at a Dave Montgomery, Damian Harris type at worst, as long as this persists. With that said, like, Sonny Michelle has been there for a good three, four weeks. Dwayne, you're muted. I think you're trying to yell at me or you're talking to someone. Either way, you know, it's all good because. Yeah. I was going to say, I rank him ahead of those guys based on this yeah. usage. Like, I mean, it's going to be something where some of the targets are going to come around. To your point, this this offense is designed to go downfield more. I mean, if you look at Stafford's dot, it was more than what you ever really see from Jared Goff. All the things we hope for happen. Basically, everybody added two yards to their depth of target. You still have the run after the catch stuff you want with the Rams. You hit the big plays. I'm just, man, the offense looks so good. This this offense is clearly going to be better than the Bears, right? Yeah. I mean, so I'm uh, that's an immediate. Give me him over David Montgomery. Oh, yeah. I mean, this many, this many. Now, I think, you know, Daryl Henderson, man, right now, like you got to consider him. He's a high-end RB, too. I know he didn't show up huge in the box score this past week, but in this offense, he's going to have his games. If you can go get Daryl Henderson right now, because somebody thinks, Oh, he's just the, the running back. He's the running back that went in the dead zone right now that I'm looking at that. I'm like, it's going to be the one that pops every year. We draft seven or eight in that range, six of them bust, two of them hit. He's going to be one of the two that hits this year. Daryl Henderson is it as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I was saying Montgomery Harris, that's at worst. That's if Sony Michelle ends up coming around more and yeah. takes more of that pass game work that's already a little bit smaller. I'm already taking them ahead of those guys for this week over Saquon, over Miles Sanders, Gaskin, Hunt, Mike Davis, the Tampa Bay dudes, Edmonds, James Robinson, Josh Jacobs. We're starting Daryl Henderson over all those guys. If he, if we keep seeing a snap rate starting with nine and Sony just doesn't play, we're going to be talking about legit RB1 status before too long, people, and maybe high end at that. Like we just don't see players getting this sort of snap rate and this is something that Sean McVay really before last year was doing consistently in his first three years with the Rams McVay's RB1 played at least 60% of the offensive snaps in 48 of 52 games even in the four games that didn't hit he still had a guy going 50% plus so they want to lead back I think McVay's only problem with Henderson and he's been vocal about this has been the dude's inability to stay healthy he's healthy right now and he's getting fed so it's not the easiest matchup but I will be personally insulted if you find a way to put Henderson on your bench people. And maybe you have, you know, this sick five team league roster and you're going to show me, you know, your six top 12 wide receivers or that, but just realize like we don't see this sort of usage in the NFL. So when we do in a great offense, like there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like we wondered, we, we all knocked Henderson down when Sony Michelle came to the table. Sony's not an issue right now. So until he is, we need to treat Henderson as, like you said, Dwayne, an upside RB2 at the absolute worst. And then just quickly, otherwise, great stuff from Matthew Stafford. I think he's still that 
you know, Tom Brady tier kind of in the QB. I know Brady's just having these great matchups. So we're ranking him a little bit higher, but you know, he's Matthew Stafford probably going to fit in your top 12, top 13 QBs more weeks than not with a sort of upside and three touchdown passing upside. He's going to have Robert Woods, Cooper cup. Great. Great. I think it's going to be tough to see, you know, a number three wide receiver consistently emerge in this group. And the final note, I guess would be Tyler Higby getting all the snaps, you know, sorry for all you Jacob Harris truthers out there throughout the off season, but it's looking like the Higby show. And he is someone that kind of was in that tight end dead zone. We weren't sure exactly if he was going to, be you know picking it up a lot but Tyler Higby Dwayne I think is someone that we're going to be ranking at you know between tight end six and tight end eight yep. more weeks than not here moving forward so and he could he, he could put this could be the best tight end season we've seen in a long time because we talked we've talked about Hawkinson and we talked about Pitts and now you add in Higby actually getting the routes they're good players like we could see seven really good tight ends this year you know no fan could do it too if he just was on the field more so yeah i'm with you on higby um he was one of the things that popped the most to me when i was doing my research well, let's talk colts and i don't think we have much to say about the passing game here but a lot of interesting nuggets here going on with not a three rb backfield but Dwayne, only two yeah. Yeah. That's the big thing is that you just don't have Jordan Wilkins or Marlon Mack involved because that, that was a real bummer. So you got John the Taylor getting to the 60% of rushing attempts. He was at 61%. Um, you have 32% of those to Hines. So if, if Taylor can stay at that 60% mark and maybe push up towards 70, even if he's not getting a ton of, pass, a ton of passing down work, it really does help him. But the beauty of, of what you're seeing with Taylor is he's really being treated kind of like what we talked about with Antonio Gibson, 37% targets per route run rate. Um, that is really high. That shows that they're designing plays for him. In fact, one of them was a screenplay. Um, three of them were play action, and there's an overlap. One of those play action passes was a screenplay to Jonathan Taylor. So that tells you what you need to know. They want to get in the ball, and you know what? They don't really care to get the ball to their receivers. Now, maybe part of that is Carson Wentz still trying to get on the same page. I mean, Carson Wentz with a 5.8 ADOT is still somehow taking nearly three seconds to throw. Like, that doesn't even compute in my brain. Like, it's not working yet. He's still trying to figure things out, and they just don't have an alpha, man. Like, Michael Pittman, you and I talked about him. I like him. But I just don't see him as somebody that's going to demand all these looks. You know, I like Paris Campbell, but it's dumb, people. You can cut him. There's no reason to keep carrying him. Zach Pascal got lucky. He caught a couple of touchdowns. I don't want to say he got lucky. He caught two touchdown passes in the NFL. Dwayne, have you ever caught a touchdown pass in the NFL? <laughs> no, you haven't. So Zach Pascal, clearly a badass in life, and you're not Dwayne. But um, I don't like any of the receivers to your point. So I think we're going to continue to see this. I think it's kind of like what we talked about with the Lions. This Hines and Taylor are probably two of the best players on their team. Maybe they're two best players. And so I think you're going to continue to see them try to find ways to get the ball to both players. And I think you can use both of them. Jonathan Taylor, like he's ahead of Nick Chubb now moving forward, right? Yes. He just yeah. had 24 combined carries and targets in a game where the Colts were down by multiple scores, like for most of the afternoon, God forbid they ever get up in the game. Dude, he was on, he was on, he was on pace for a lot more in the second half. Naheem Hines was way more involved. Um, but yeah, no, it's because, it, and here's the, like when I take like this, like life hack kind of view of it, I have one back that competes with cream hunt. I have the other one that competes with Naheem Hines. Problem solved. <laughs> I'm going to go with the guy that doesn't have Kareem Hunt on his team. As much as I love Naheem Hines, he's not Kareem Hunt. I will be interested to see what the split looks like in a more normal positive game script. Because I guess the only 
if they're going to feed the backfield this many touches, similar to the Lions, like both guys are going to be fine regardless. But I do wonder with Hines getting that extension, getting nine carries in this game, if this is actually going to be more of a, you know, 60, 40, 50, 50 split, like regardless of the game. And the thing is, I think it can be because of the point you made. There's not a third guy. Right. So it, right. I think it still works. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that was the big thing, people. That was my whole, you know, as someone that was a little bit down on Jonathan Taylor and everyone joined me in August, I thought for the wrong reasons when, you know, Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson were getting hurt. But yeah, that was the problem. It was that every back going ahead of Jonathan Taylor was either the workhorse or sharing the backfield with only one other guy. We were projecting him to be sharing it at least a little bit, at least, you know, 15% or so with Mac, with Wilkins. The fact he is not absolutely huge. And also note that he did have a, you know, a touchdown nullified last week. So it actually was going to be a bigger game for him if you know either his teammate didn't hold or if the ref you know decided not to be a dick there and was facing Jonathan Taylor in his <laughs> fantasy game so moving right along we got the Bills at the Dolphins Buffalo three-point favorites game total 48 so uh, this was one of the games on my game by game breakdown pod that I hadn't watched yet so I kind of wasn't you know wasn't too confident in saying like all right like you know expect Josh Allen to get back to normal now I am guys this offense is going to be absolutely fine moving forward like the, the Pittsburgh Steelers probably just got like another holding call in the time that I started this, like the amount of plays that got left on the field last week that just got overturned by the refs was getting pretty freaking ridiculous. So for me, Josh Allen, not nearly as bad as some of those numbers indicated could have had Emmanuel Sanders on a potential 50 yard touchdown, just missed the guy. So we still saw, you know, all the sort of just friendly, you know, fantasy friendly usage out of him running the ball and just throwing the piss out of the ball out of the ball the Pittsburgh Steelers have a great defense and they played a great game give them that hat tip I don't think we see the same thing against say Dolphins defense that last time we saw you know couldn't keep this Bills offense under 50 so I think Josh Allen and company get back to balling in a major way and that might just include Devin Singletary one of the biggest you know surprises we saw on Sunday was Zach Moss being healthy scratched and look the reason why we couldn't get behind this backfield seemingly to start the year was because we were projecting a 50-50 split. And in an offense where Josh Allen doesn't check down and where he runs more than just about anybody inside the 10-yard line, you just can't deal with 50% snaps in that. 73% though? Okay, now we can start getting behind that. So Devin Singletary, I think he does now leap into the top 30 phase. I'm still a little hesitant to put him top 24, but hey man, this is a great offense and Devin Singletary is the lead back for me now. So, you know, could Moss be active next week? Absolutely. Could Brita get a bigger role? Sure. But for right now, man, it's looking like Devin Singletary is the RB1 in Buffalo. And hey man, he's good. Like since he came into the league, we got, you know, among all running backs with at least 100 carries he's tied for 17th in pff rushing grade tied for seventh in missed tackles force per carry tied for 10th in yards per carry tied for 12th in yards after contact per carry so josh allen don't sweat it devin singletary if you happen to grab him you know in the late rounds as like a zero rb or you're feeling good about it because i think that at worst he can now give us some solid rb3 value more weeks than not now Dwayne, we had our first waddle waddle of the year with the dolphins great to see Running back committee, maybe wasn't so great to see, but at least we got Will Fuller coming back. And before I throw it over to you, do you, do you know who the Jetpack Galeo dude is on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. 
He is absolutely awesome. You guys should follow him at Jetpack Galileo. That's G-A-L-I-L-E-O. But he's a big fan of like astronomy and telescopes and all that shit. And he has like a method for predicting Will Fuller weeks based on the moon. So <laughs> per Jetpack Galileo, there's a 98% chance we have a we have a 98% waxing give us this Sunday which means we need to start Will Fuller or Parrish. So look, people, <laughs> I don't make the rules, but the moon and the tides, they happen to predict Will Fuller big week. So take that for what you will. That's my little beyond the box score note on the Dolphins, Wayne. Try to top that. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't top that. But what I can say is uh, the encouraging things for the Dolphins really quick. Um, they threw the ball the 79%. Yeah, 79% of the time, even when leading, right? So it's, it's a team that's told us they're going to throw the ball, they're going to throw the ball, they're going to try to throw the ball more and be aggressive. And they did that. Now, they were still 56% pass, 44% run for the game, but they led 26% of plays. The game was within three points for 74% of plays. So it's not like they had to do a ton. But overall, like, I'm just encouraged with what we're seeing. Two is dot 9.9, time to throw 2.5, um, 37% play action. It's funny. It's like everybody's caught on now. It's play action and you don't have to run as much. Like every team is finally like starting to gear up and get into this mode. And so I still think Tua has sneaky, uh, you know, upside later in the season. If you're in a super flex, I still like him. You already mentioned we get Will Fuller back this week. So I think that's a positive. Um, as far as Waddle goes, like did really well, um, you know, finished in the top 25. And I didn't update for last night's games, but he was in the top 25. So let's say he was a top 30 receiver in his first game in the NFL. That's really great. 75% of his routes came from the slot. The only thing I don't know, Ian, that I just want to keep an eye on is what happens with Fuller back. Because last week in 12 personnel, look, Waddle picked up an additional 19 snaps. If you take those snaps away and all of a sudden he gets half of those or he doesn't get any of those and those all go to Fuller and Parker and they're the guys working outside, that could be a really a damper on Waddle, especially in games where like last week where you had the Dolphins leading. And so they used more 12, they even threw a little 13 out there. And so that's just something I'm going to keep an eye on. So if you've got an option besides Waddle this week that you really like, don't feel like you have to force him. I'm not saying be afraid of him. I mean, he was out there 93% of the routes last week, but to give you an example, Albert Wilson was the third receiver. And if, if Waddle could be the third receiver next week, Wilson was only out there for 60% of the routes. Um, so that's something that we got to watch for a waddle. That's, that's going to be a key thing. Let's see what happens with fuller. It'll definitely be in the utilization report next week. The only other thing I'll say is just drop Mike Jasicki. There's no point folks. There's just no points. Ian actually already told you this before the season started only on a route 60% of the time targets per route only at 17%. Um, so you heard us talk on the podcast yesterday. If you haven't go back and listen, there is a magic equation for tight ends. This is going in the opposite direction. You want to be at 20% targets per route run. You want to be over 80% of routes. Sorry, over at yeah, over 80% of the routes, over uh 20% targets per route run. So I actually had it right. Why do I have to repeat myself when I do things right? I do enough things wrong that I have to repeat myself for. Um, so Jasicki's just really not some that it, somebody that you want to be honestly. I would rather own Adam Troutman right now yeah. than Mike Jasicki. So go make that move, get it done while you're sitting here. Listen to us if you can, if you don't gotta wait on waiver wires. Um, the only other thing I will say, just real quick, Miles Gaskin. Uh, it's, it's the old Patriots 50, 30, 20 share. You, you, it's just what you got to do. If you're an old Patriots coach. You have to give 50% to one back 30 to the next and 20 to the next. It looks really good on your spreadsheet. Makes you feel good. QA guy comes up at the end of the game goes, yep, coach 50, 30, 20. And coach says, yes, mission accomplished for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, but the thing with Gaskin, I will say 29% targets per route run. 
So that's really good. And that is something that Jay Moyer did say, uh, another great follower, follow on Twitter. If you guys want to understand how NFL running games work, oh my God, the, absolutely, it's the best. Like he shows you how duo works, wide zone, where the mesh points, the cuts, all that stuff. Like I don't know anybody that does like breaking down that stuff and reading the next level defender than Jay. And he really loves Miles Gaskin. And he, he specifically talked about how he could see Miles Gaskin having 20% of the targets. And I said, you're freaking insane. There's no way Miles Gaskin is going to have that many targets in this offense with all these weapons week one miles gaskin 19 percent of the target so i have to give jay a shout out and tell him you're right i was wrong uh 86 of the two minute snaps in the offense 50 percent of the long down and distance but only 38 percent of the rushing attempts so but you want the receiving role on this offense so malcolm brown is an annoyance salvin Ahmed is an annoyance miles gaskin's the only player to own i still got him as a low rb2 but if you were to start to take over from either of those other players just a little bit more in the rushing department, you know, he could have some upside. Yeah. I mean, and you guys can check out my, uh, you know, just breakdown of every team's backfield situation uh, up on pff.com on Wednesday. That was basically my takeaway. I, I said upside RB three, but basically Sorry, people. He's probably not going to have, you know, the same sort of production you drafted him for if you did your draft a month ago, you know, before the preseason. Still useful. Just, again, don't be necessarily treating yeah. him as the guy you drafted him to be. Realize he's still the lead back, but he's not getting that three-down uh, role that he had for bunches last year. Second lowest scoring game total of the week. Patriots at Jets, uh, New England, open as three-and-a-half-point favorites. That has gone up to five-and-a-half, and that low game total I mentioned before is sitting at 43 points. So, this backfield is going to be interesting. Similar to the 49ers, I don't think we got the whole story necessarily in week one. Damon Harris looked good. 54% snaps, 23 carries, three targets. Unfortunately, he had the late game fumble that ended up leading, you know, pretty much, you, know, you could argue, you know, definitely didn't help win him the game. We'll, uh, we'll put it that way. James White, 37% snaps, four rushes, seven targets. We can live with that. Again, two RB backfields are great, but Ramondre Stevenson, not only active, but he got an early carry. The problem was he fumbled it. So Dwayne, I guess what I'm worried about is like, they weren't going into this game, anticipating it to be Harrison White. Stevenson was going to have a role. I don't think they just gave him a first quarter carry. And if he didn't fumble, like that was going to be his last carry of the game. So I want to know what the split was going to be before the fumble. And if it was anything close to like a getting Stevenson involved, that's not going to be good for Damian Harris. We need him to have pretty much, you know, a large percentage of this team's rush attempts in order for him to pay off as his top 2015 back. Uh, I think some people want him to be. So I'm holding steady. I, you know, I think last week I had him as my RB22, RB23, or something like that. I still think he's a low end RB2. Maybe we can bump him up a little bit because this matchup is looking great. Five and a half point favorites. You know, this is the type of game script that we can expect him to clear the 20 touch mark with ease. I'm just worried if it's going to be Stevenson or JJ Taylor eventually making this a three back committee because that's where things become problematic. And again, just looking at the snaps right now, everything's fine. I'm just not convinced that that's the level we're going to see Stevenson involved with in future weeks. So curious if you think, uh, you know, if you yeah, think it's going to, it's going to happen. The Fugazi, it's gonna happen. Dwayne. It's a Fugazi. They're going to use three Fugazi, backs. whatever. Looks. Fugazi, yeah. Hey, forget about it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a three-way backfield. Look, there are certain things, and I get it. We have these debates in the industry, right? Like how, how strong is a coaching tendency really and what can break it? Talent can break a coaching tendency. And I think Damian Harris is a good player. 
But remember, this is a backfield that's had some pretty good players through the years. And Bill Belichick, there's certain things that he values and there's certain things he's looking for. And he likes to have multiple backs that can do everything. And I think part of that is because if one gets hurt, like it's just, okay, next man up kind of mentality. So I think there's going to be three backs involved. I think this will be one of the higher uh carry, you know, shares that you're going to see all year from Damian Harris. And it doesn't mean he can't be a good player, but he's going to be what you just said. He's going to be a low end RB2, depending on scoring touchdowns. Now, what I did like, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I just remember because I just wrote this, you know, his targets per route run was, they were better than what they have been in the yeah. past. So maybe they give him a little more work, but we know James White's going to be out there in all the long down, long down distance, two minute. I do think Ramondre Stevenson or JJ Taylor, one of the other guys will be a thing, but, but you know what? You got Damian Harris in the eighth or ninth round. And if you went one, if you went hero RB stacked up a bunch of receivers and tight ends and Damian Harris is your RB two, you're still okay. Just you're going to plug him in there and you got to live with it. Is he going to score touchdowns or not? I mean, you got a back that in the eighth or ninth round that a lot of people ended up with in the fifth or sixth round um, with other dead zone backs that were taken. And you really got kind of the same profile three rounds later. So high five, high five you, you know, you're still leading and, and there's still a chance to upgrade your backfield, but yeah, I'm with you Ian. just low, low end RB two going to be real tough for him to ever have that top, top end RB one game, except the exceptional game where he might score three touchdowns, which this isn't a Tom Brady led Patriots team. So it's just going to be tough. Now, on the other sideline, we got the Jets. I think we can just write off these running backs for the time being, all three being used. You're not going to let me talk about Ty Johnson? You hate Ty Johnson. like you. Just what did he do that. other than lead snaps? Oh, yeah, Ty Johnson killed it in my point per snap league, Dwayne. You know, like, come on, <laughs> Tevin Coleman is the one with the most carries, and he's probably going to contend. All right, pitch me on Ty Johnson then, Dwayne. Go so, ahead. Well, I mean, snaps 54% to Ty Jack for Ty Johnson, 26%. Ty Johnson <laughs> to Tevin Coleman, 25% to Michael Carter. I really don't care either. You shouldn't be starting any of these players. Michael Carter is the one I want to stash. Yes. Ty Johnson, I'm also okay. I'm not carrying Tevin Coleman. I just, you know, Tevin Coleman, you know, whatever. 71% of the short down and distance. He's he's literally a between the tackles runner on a team that right now has a lot of problems and they're probably going to trail a lot. So I like Ty Johnson and Carter better. Don't want to be starting any either one of them. Ty's completely owning the the passing downs though. 80% of long down distance, 91% two minutes. Anyway, we've already wasted too much time. I just basically did that to make Ian mad, just so you guys know. <laughs> but Zach Wilson, uh, and thank you, Twitter. Uh, God, I should have wrote down the handle because I am. Perfectly well Oh my mistakes. I had tweeted earlier, four sacks and 13 dropbacks with Makai Becton in the lineup. You know the feature, Ian, in Ultimate, where we can go in and you can type versus this player and it's on the same team? Yeah. And it's supposed to just show you the snaps like with that player. And it did, but my brain was thinking it was going to show me the snaps without that player for whatever uh, reason. And then I made my tweet, so whatever. But still, two sacks and 13 dropbacks with once McKay, once Mackay Becton left the lineup. So, I mean, that's a, you know, he was sacked 13% of the time anyway. Well, it was 15% over those last 13 dropbacks. That's the big problem for Zach Wilson right now. This team needs to get a running game going because it does. Hopefully it can protect Zach Wilson. Um, so it's a downgrade man to the overall offense, losing Becton like that. You don't want to overreact to an offensive lineman, but I mean, they were going to build an offense that could shelter Wilson. And now I worry it's like brick by brick. It's just falling apart and it's turning into, well, Wilson just drop back and win the game. You don't want that, you know, for Wilson in his rookie season, you really want him to get to operate in a situation where you're using the play action, you're hitting the bootlegs, you're doing the rollouts, you're doing all these things to really give him an advantage versus the defense. 
right at the right once the snaps ball once the ball is snapped and you know uh pre-snap as well and you're just not going to get you know it's just going to be tougher with the way things are going when they're going to drop behind so it's funny Ian, because Corey davis man like was my guy love him and he smashed came up with two touchdowns i don't think i remember a time in my life having someone that's like one of my guys that i was super on in the preseason and they smash in week one and then come week two i'm thinking should I sell high? <laughs> Should I sell high like right now? Cause I'm just worried about what's going to happen with the offense. Now, Beckton's not gone for the season. Just so you guys know, he's probably out somewhere from like, you know, four to six weeks is what I read. It was a, it was a, uh, dislocated kneecap. So something obviously very painful, but he should be able to rehab and get back from But Six games is it's a long time, man. Um, so I'm a little worried about all the jets receivers. I mostly want to fade them. I own Corey Davis so much. He's probably going to have to be in lineups, but everything else on the offense outside of Davis is a fade for me right Right now, just quick shout out to Elijah Moore, guys. Like, I know he didn't come up in the box score, but 85% of the routes had an A dot of 22.8, 25% of the air yards, only 12% of the targets, uh, but 22% of the targets on third down. He did lead the team in third down targets. So, I still think you're going to get something out of Elijah Moore. And I know you're just like, well, you just talked bad about Corey Davis. You want me to start Elijah Moore? No, just realize I didn't say start Elijah Moore. I just said, don't, I'm telling you, don't drop it. That's the point. Yeah, I'm hoping I haven't looked at DraftKings salaries yet, but I'm hoping they give us another week with him at that min 3K and we will get that bounce back. Everyone's going to go to Corey Davis now. We will zag it back to Elijah Moore and hopefully get some extra dollars in the pockets, people. Moving right along, we got the Bengals at the Bears, Chicago three-point favorites, 45-point game total. So shout out to our guest that will be on the Thursday edition of this podcast, Hayden Winks uh, over at Underdog Fantasy for this cool stat. But Hayden basically calculated the neutral pass rate for every team from week one. The Bengals were dead last at 32%. They are absolutely bringing Joe Burrow along slowly. He still was taking a bunch of sacks when he did go back to pass, unfortunately. But yeah, they are not putting him in the same position as last year when Joe Burrow, before he got hurt, was number one in the entire NFL and dropbacks. I mean, 32% is ridiculously low, people. Only the Lions at 39% were also under 40%. So with that said, great to see Jamar Chase. Remember how to catch the ball. Him running straight past Bashad Breland doesn't necessarily, you know, do it for me in terms of putting him as a top 20 receiver right away. T Higgins, if you guys caught his interview on the uh, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, 10 touchdowns this year, and he will change his number back to five. We got one, so nine more to go to get T Higgins back to number five. Tyler Boyd, unfortunately, dudded on just four targets. And I guess that's the problem, Dwayne, because when we were ranking all three of these guys, you know, as almost like the AFC Dallas Cowboys, expecting them to have these three wide receivers, it was always done under the assumption that this passing game was going to, you know, vie for one of the highest total volume, I guess, just overall target share in the league. So I just think we probably got to bump most of these guys. I think Chase, you know, deserves to be the one or him and Higgins, but generally, man, I just, I'm going to have them outside the top 24. I believe they're all wide receiver threes. I think, I think they're upside wide receiver threes, as opposed to the wide receiver twos that we had them slaughter for just for now. Like the Bengals are clearly not worried about throwing the ball. They want to give Joe Mixon all the freaking touches he can handle. So maybe that was just a facet of them being up against the Vikings. I'm just saying, don't, you know, we're not trading these guys. We're not cutting these guys. Everything could be fine by literally like week three or four when they're more confident in burrow just for now, calm your expectations a little bit Boyd's more of a flex Higgins and uh you know Chase again I think more upside upside wide receiver threes maybe borderline wide receiver twos like Chase did great but seven targets like that's not going to do it more weeks than not if he's not having the cornerback just refuse uh to respect the deep ball so 
chill out a little bit on these receivers. Great talents. I think their volume will come a little bit later in the season. But Joe Mixon, people, until he gets hurt, if I hope he doesn't get hurt. I shouldn't have said until Jesus, Ian. God, do you know how much money I have in Joe Mixon? Oh, I suck. I'm sorry. Hang up on you. (laughs) Last seven games going back to week one, 2020. Total carries and targets 21, 20, 20, 31, 22, 21. Most recently, 33. Look good doing it last week, too. I mean, running through all sorts of tackles, had the week high number of misforced tackles on rush attempts with eight. Joe Mixon, I, I haven't done the specific ranks. I think he was my RB6 last week, and I'll probably be there again because it's just so hard to bust with this level of volume. So, Show out yeah, he was the, he was the still receiver. of the he was the still he was the still of the second round at running back like he opened up so many thrilled. possibilities yes you're thrilled about him chill out a little bit on the wide receivers I'm happy we got away with playing Chase and Higgins last week just worry about that overall volume moving forward so Dwayne let's talk about why Bears fans should leave the stadium mid game if Dalton <laughs> starts bad and they don't make the switch. Okay, well, I mean, 4.5 ADOT, is that a good reason? Oh 5.4 yards per attempt, is that oh, a good reason? My eyes, uh, my ears. <laughs> six, 6% sack rate, is that a good reason? Um, yeah, yeah, Andy Dalton is shell-shocked. Like, you know, that's he looked that way last year in Dallas, and that, to be honest, might be part of why, because he had no offensive line, and he just basically got destroyed all year. Um, he looks, and I hate to say this, like, I could be completely wrong, but I, it just looks like me, like, he's – I don't want to say playing scared Ian, but that's how I feel. It's like, Oh my God, just get the ball out. Just get the ball out. Just get the ball out. And, you know, eventually defenses catch on to that stuff, you know, um, and they're not just going to sit there and let you throw, you know, three yard hitches and little crossers the whole game. They, they can take that crap away. Um, and they will with Andy Dalton. So yeah, he didn't look good and it causes a downgrade to the whole offense really, you know, it just kind of makes you sick. Um, but Mooney, I don't want to be starting Darnell Mooney. There, he did some nice things. 30% of the air yards, hundred percent of the end zone targets targeted on 18% of the routes was out there hundred percent of the routes. That's even better than Allen Robinson, who was at 96%, but you just don't really want to be messing around. Cole Komet, we hope we'd get around 80% of the routes. He's at 71%. I mean, he's okay. You know, and he's really just a guy that you want to be stashing for this point. You don't want him out there in your lineups. Um, the guy that really surprised me was David Montgomery. 67% of the rushing attempts, that's way up there, uh, was out there. Now, he did split the, uh, the uh, short down and distance work with Damian Williams, um, split the long down distance and work with Damian Williams. So, like, all the kind of situational stuff, they're really splitting. Um, and the 3% targets were the killer. Um, that's where Damian Williams shined. He came in and got 13% of the targets and, was, and saw a 25% targets per route run rate. They were doing more design stuff for him. 80% of Damian Williams' targets came as a first read. Um, obviously, zero of David Montgomery's came because he only had one target. Um, so none of those were on the first read. So that's going to be something to monitor, man, because really we thought David Montgomery, we're like, man, like if he could get 60% of the attempts and still like just get like to around 10 to 12% of the targets, like you could really be in a good spot. And I'm worried that's going to happen. But I will say, man, he looked really good, Ian. like against a good defensive front, um, like just he looked the best I've seen him, you know, in his career last year, there were some huge holes that he ran through at the end of the season. And again, I'm like, you, what are you gonna do? You can't take that stuff away from a player, but I thought what he earned on, on, um, Sunday night, like he earned a lot of it. Like his offensive line wasn't playing great. A few plays they were, but like he was turning really kind of nothing into 10 yard runs against a pretty good defense. So I was very impressed with the way he played and felt like immediately afterwards, you know, I probably had him underrated. He was RB eight last week. Um, But, you know, if you're looking at this matchup, 
I think I'm fine with playing Montgomery. I'm going to fade every other part of the, of the bears offense besides Allen Robinson. Those are the two that I'm going to use um, and everything else. You know, I'm, I'm just going to stay away from it until we get a switch at quarterback. Last seven games, David Montgomery PPR finishes RB six, RB one, RB six, RB two, RB eight, RB five, most recently RB eight. The lack of pass game work was concerning though, Dwayne, like, Montgomery is not hurting your team. We're still looking at someone that should flirt with 20 combined rushes and targets more weeks than not. I do think we see him kind of settle in as more of an upside RB two and more weeks moving forward. Like last year, he had the fifth most PPR points among any running back from only receiving production. He's just not getting that with Damian Williams instead of Cordero Patterson, unfortunately. So if someone, I don't think you can really sell high on Montgomery because people haven't really been treating him as this RB one he's been anyway, but Hey, if someone wants to really drink the, kool-aid and treat him as the rb1 i wouldn't mind selling him at that point because again i don't think this run he's going to have is going to be that sustainable if he's not getting the targets nfc south matchup falcons at the buccaneers tampa bay opened as 12 point favorites or 13 and a half point favorites now we are down to 12 52 point total and yeah this is tough for the falcons guys they looked atrocious last week including the preseason Falcons quarterbacks have been pressured on 54% of their dropbacks in 2021. I think the Jets are at 43%. Nobody else is over 40. Like this is miserable. So at this point, man, Ridley and Pitts are staying in lineups no matter what. We're getting the volume, eight targets for each last week. You know, we talked about Pitts' usage uh, in the waiver wire uh, pod, one of your cool utilization, uh, you know, takeaways. And he got 80% of his uh, routes in the slot or out wide. Like he is a number two pass game option, essentially taking over for Julio as we hoped he would, you know, like that when you draft a guy fourth overall, you hope they'd have a plan. They do. So I'm not worried about the lack of efficiency. Keep Pitts in that starting lineup. The question is, should you start Mike Davis? And I would say probably not if you have, you know, a reasonable jump. For matchups, I want to use them as tiebreakers. If it's Mike Davis, you know, as your RB25 versus your RB35, no, start Mike Davis. But RB25 versus RB28, that's when we can consider doing this because just something about the Buccaneers, man. There's been 12 running backs have double-digit carries against Tampa Bay over the last two years. Dalvin Cook managed to get 102 yards. Christian McCaffrey got 59 but Latavius Murray, Wayne Gallman, Alvin Kamara, CEH, Zeke, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift, all held under 50 yards. So this Buccaneers front seven, no joke. We all saw it last week with Zeke. You know, we'll talk about the Cowboys here in a minute, but like Zeke didn't play terribly. He should have scored in that one goal line play where he had the one-on-one. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered if Blake Jarwin touched literally anybody. But again, we'll get to that with Mike Davis. It's, he's, he has the volume, which is great. But Cordero Patterson is more involved, I think, than a lot of people gave credit for. Because he should be. Cordero's fucking awesome. And I'm the proud president of the Cordero Patterson fan club. Leads the league and rushes of 10-plus yards. Dwayne, only Lamar Jackson also has four. But being realistic in this tough matchup, I just think Ridley pits and that's about all we're doing in atlanta i'm feeling good about naming matt ryan as my biggest fade of the season not to you know pat myself too hard in the back after week one it just doesn't look pretty and it's not even as much i think julio leaving the offense as just arthur smith and this offensive line not meshing at the moment so let's talk about a much more positive offense here Dwayne, because tampa bay buccaneers we got wide receivers catching balls all over the place antonio brown looking good but we got Bruce Arians stopping us from feeling too good about the situation. Why don't you tell the people what we're expecting from this backfield after you unmute yourself? 
Yeah, sorry. Uh, my my dogs have been barking, so I was trying to save the listeners. But um, yeah, so it's, you know, he's come out and said Ronald Jones starter. <laughs> what that means, it could be a snap. Aww. We don't know. Um, so, you know, this is Bruce Arians and he's, he's, in, uh, he's in peak form right out of the gate in the season. So it's just, look, I don't want to deal with this backfield. And this is exactly why. And here's the thing, guys. Gio Bernard took 100% of the long down distance snaps, 100% of the two-minute offense snaps. So he's already basically locked down the passing game. Now you've got what's left in the running game that's really going to be between Fournette and Ronald Jones. And Fournette, yes, was targeted on 24% of his routes last week, which is a really high number. It's not going to continue. It was just kind of a weird freak thing. They weren't doing a lot to design to design those looks for him. It's where he just where Brady needed to go with the ball. But really, when you look at Brady historically, I know people are like, oh no, it's going to continue because you know he throws to his running backs. Nah, well, you got to go back and look when Brady's really had three good weapons outside. So back to Moss and Welker. Actually, you can go back to Hernandez and Gronk years and some of those times. And he did not heavily target the running backs 25 and 30 percent of the time. Heck, last year. In the last eight games, once you had Antonio Brown, you had Chris Godwin back healthy because he missed four of the first eight games. You had Mike Evans dealing with injuries through, uh, you know, the first eight weeks of last season, too, with a hamstring and then an ankle. Once they were all together and ready to rock, only 15 percent of the targets from Brady went to the back. So you're just not going to continue to see it. And my guess is Gio is going to get more of the, of the passing down work than anybody else. And so that just leaves Fournette and Jones in an awkward situation where either one could be the hot hand for the week, but you won't know which one it's going to be. It's basically going to be whichever one screws up then the other guy's going to get the work so if you like playing roulette and that's how you like to handle your fantasy teams i get it the positive you could say is it's a great offense right so there's going to be plenty of chances to score touchdowns do some good things because you get to play with tom brady you get to play with the bucks but outside of that it's just a situation that i want to avoid um there's really not a lot else to see people people are pretty much up on the box we talked a little bit about gronkowski i think on did we talk about gronk the other day i can't remember just in case we didn't he was a surprise. He was not in the rotation, we thought. Uh, 70%, 74% of the routes to Gronk, 28% to Bray, and 2% to O.J. Howard. Now, could that start to increase as O.J. Howard gets healthier, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? We could see that. But Gronk didn't really get over the 70% route mark very often last season. And when he did, he was pretty good. 24% of the times on the routes he ran, he was targeted by Brady in this game. Now, there's a lot of mouths to feed people. Someone's going to be left out. I think what I learned from this game is maybe the pie is three people big, not two. What we were thinking is, okay, two of three will get fed. Maybe it can be three of four get fed. Is Antonio Brown still number three receiver there? Or do we just need to rank them like all right next to each other? Because I don't really see the difference at this point because like obviously Mike Evans is probably like we should just be all in on the Mike Evans bounce back this week. I think Brady's gonna, I think he has a little bit like Peyton Manning used to do that. You know, if Marvin Harrison had a huge game, you know, Reggie Wayne would be going off the next week and all that. So like, I'm not saying Mike Evans is out of the picture, but I definitely, and, and we all knew that Antonio Brown was a value throughout the off season. We made that clear. I'm just saying Dwayne, like when we make our rankings, I think we're going to need to have all three of these guys in the top 24. Yeah, you got to put them all there. I don't know that I can get them all in the top 24. Um, but I'll try, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll try, Ian. Yes, I'll try. But, you know, it's a really good question. I mean, so here's my thought, you know, and I put it in the utilization article today. Um, you know, I do believe Brown's overperforming based on his targets per route run. We're really not that great. 19%. He got 15% of the targets. He was only out there for 72% of the routes. So as much as I like Antonio Brown, he's a 33 year old wide receiver that I do believe is third in this pecking order. The guy I'm the most excited about is Chris Godwin. 
And it's because he gets to work inside. He's the youngest of the bunch. So he's a guy that if I'm probably going to push one in the top 24 every week and just say, look, I got to make sure he's in the top 24. It's Godwin. I still think right now today, Mike Evans is the guy that I would most often, like if you said, hey, Dwayne, over the next 12 weeks, who's going to rank inside the top 24 the most out of the Bucks receivers? It's going to be Godwin and Evans. Now, we could continue to get more evidence. I know Tom Brady loves Antonio Brown, but like the numbers just don't, they're not quite there. I think you're still going to get these weeks where Brown's going to be outside the top 36. I mean, I just think people are going a little too nuts with the Brown thing. He looked really good the other night, but I saw all these, Oh my God, Antonio Brown's the best receiver on the Bucks. Oh my God. Antonio Brown's a wide receiver one. I don't think that's the case. I think he was a wide receiver one in week one. Um, you know, he caught touchdowns. We know how that goes. When you catch touchdowns, guess what happens to your fantasy points? They go up and you get a spike week and you're a wide receiver one that week. So I think it's still going to be distributed. And I'm not saying I don't like Antonio Brown, but if you can find an owner in your league, that's super pumped up about him that maybe loved him back in the day. And now he's like, Oh my God, he's back. He's the same player. I don't think it's the same. I would be willing to move Antonio Brown and just live with Godwin or Evans um, or just not own a Bucks receiver. Not that I don't want to, because I like them all. We'll have Godwin at the top, probably expecting Mike Evans and AB to be a little bit more of a boom or bust variety. Booms will be great. It's only one football in this offense, but people, I hope you all realize about all this. That NFL week one is in the books, which means PFF has data and grades for every single player who logged a snap last week. As you've heard Dwayne and I discussing throughout this pod, what can you get with the PFF subscription? Well, I'm happy you asked all of PFF's locked article content, PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards are great power projections, cover probabilities and betting values. Zero to 100 grades of every single player, including the top rookies on every team. Player prop tool, which shows plus minus values for every NFL prop and much more. So please, people, check out the highest graded players from week one and look to find early value on spread picks and player props for week two by getting yourself a PFF subscription. And I also want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. Week one may be over, but the season just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required one per customer restrictions apply see draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT and now back to the podcast with a look at the Vikings and Cardinals we got five more matchups to go through people great day to be great as always Arizona sitting pretty as a four and a half point home favorite game total sitting at 51 so want to talk a little bit about this Vikings passing game because Dalvin Cook you know, as we know, even if Dwayne over here wants to downgrade him to RB3, we're still looking at an every week high-end guy that you are, you know, only moving out of the RB1 spot to try to motivate the guy in your fantasy lineup. So with that said, the passing game, Thielen had 10 targets last week. KJ Osborne out of absolutely nowhere had nine. Justin Jefferson had nine. I don't see Osborne, you know, going tit for tat with these two receivers for the rest of the year, but I think Thielen's 10 targets could be a sign that myself and others may have written him off a little bit too soon. I mean, 
we keep yelling regression, but the guy just keeps scoring touchdowns. 16 scores in his last 16 games. To be fair, Justin Jefferson, I have no idea how he did not get a touchdown last week. This dude's ass was in the end zone, and they just somehow found a way not to put him down even at the one-inch line, but they moved the ball all the way out to the one Dalvin Cook ended up uh, you know, scoring anyway. So when you see that box score, know that Cousins and Jefferson should have had an additional score there if the refs weren't freaking blind in Cincinnati last week. So I would just say, you know, after this week, I'm not going to make too many major adjustments. Jefferson's still at 40% of the offense's air yards. Thielen was at 27%. You know, I don't think Thielen's going to average a touchdown per game for the rest of time, but hey, maybe the guy is awfully good at football. I would just maybe you know, squeeze the disparity a little bit. I probably had Thielen as more of a borderline wide receiver too. I, I jumped him up in the good matchup, but more of a borderline wide receiver too. Whereas Jefferson was someone knocking on the door of the top five, still treat Jefferson as an every week wide receiver one. Maybe he's just ranked a little bit closer to 12 than six moving forward. And for Thielen, man, Hey, if we're getting the closer target disparity between the guys, he could end up surprising us. Like that's the potential problem here. Like last year off the top of my head, I think the final target totals was like Justin Jefferson, 125 or 130, and and finished closer to hundred. And that was despite Jefferson not getting a full-time role until week three. So the thought was that, you know, that would grow a little bit more, but at least through one week, Adam Thielen looking awfully involved. So I think, you know, you all out there are probably starting these guys regardless, uh, you know, in typical redraft formats, just realize, you know, maybe we wrote off Adam Thielen a little bit too soon. This guy continues to be pretty damn good at the game. Hopefully the Vikings can keep Kirk Cousins upright. We saw what the Cardinals did against the Tennessee Titans last week. I'm not quite buying it. Chandler Jones is fantastic. We all know that. Uh, J.J. Watts, you know, out there doing his thing. Buda Baker, they got some good players. But I just think if the Vikings can protect Kirk just a little bit, these Cardinals cornerbacks could get exposed on their respective islands. Now, Dwayne, I think Kyler Murray was the single most impressive player of week one when you just look at his plays and some of the crazy shit he was pulling out of his hat out there. But we also have plenty of good takeaways from this wide receiver room that I know you want to get off your chest. Yeah, no, man, he's amazing. Like when you watch him, it's very rarely in the NFL do you just look at something and you're like, wow, that player's speed and elusiveness is on another level. Like he's like Houdini. He's like, he's like, I'm just going to go do this and there's nothing you guys can do. And I'm just going to pop out of bounds. You're not going to get to hit me. It's going to be frustrating as shit. Like if you're a defender, because he does that crap over and over and over. Honestly, I don't think he's at much risk of getting hurt when he's running. I think he's at bitter, bigger risk when he's in the pocket, to be honest. I think when he's running, like he just knows how to take care of himself and he knows angles really well and he knows his abilities. Um, so he's just, he doesn't take big hits when he's out there because I'm watching it. I'm like, Oh man, Oh man, Oh man. And like, he slips it and you're just like, Oh, there he goes. That's again. always been my issue with this, you know, just um, stereotype that Russian quarterbacks are more likely to get hurt. Like what? Some guy that can't move. That's just going to be a statue in the pocket. So DNs can just tee off on him. That that's what you want. <laughs> I agree. Especially a player like, like, so like when you think back to like, Robert Griffin, like he always struggled with it because he didn't have a good slide move, you know, but Kyler Murray, I mean, this is a baseball guy. He knows the slide move. He knows when to get out of bounds. Like, you know, you see him all the time, just like real quickly get out of bounds and just kind of reach the arm out and get like that extra yard. Like it's, he is, he is one of my favorite players to watch right now. Um, And he was the guy in that second tier that I really loved the most and wish that I was able to get more ownership because he's the one that I'm like, man, if one player in the league 
could throw for like 4,500 yards and rush for a thousand. Like it's Kyler Murray. As much as I like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray is the guy in his, in his current iteration of his, his offense versus what, you know, um, you know, you're dealing with in Baltimore. Like, I just, I like what you get. So yeah, I'll just, I'll go real quick here. Um, if you want to hear about the receivers, honestly, we already talked about them um, in, the, in the episode before. The basic yeah. thing is Christian Kirk getting to work out of the slot 96% of the time. Um, I do expect in a more competitive game, he should get his routes up to around 75%. Targets per route run, 22%. See, my daughters are trying to talk to everybody again. Um, and so, I, you know, he won that inside role. He had shared it with Rondell Moore earlier in the offseason. So, it's really his. And so I think the pecking order here, despite the routes and the targets, not the targets, but the routes going really to, you know, AJ green, I think Christian Kirk is the guy you want to own. And so the backs were what I was going to touch on this time, you know, since we talked about the receivers yesterday. So chase Edmonds, 58% of the snaps, 49% to James Conner, 34% of the rushing attempts to chase Edmonds, 50% to James Conner routes, though, 78% man to chase Edmonds. So last year, if you looked at it, um, really was more Kenyon Drake being out there on early downs and Chase Edmonds would come in and get the long down and distance in two minutes. So now what this offense has done is they essentially, essentially said Edmonds is the lead back and we're just not going to run the ball as much, at least in this first game, almost 60% of the snaps, like I said, but still got a hundred percent of the long down distance, a hundred of the two minute offense. So Chase kind of has a unique role. He's an early down back that they use more to pa in passing situations versus rushing and he gets all of the normal receiving, you know, work. So I really like him. I think that in this offense, that makes him a low end RB two. Yes. Kyler Murray's willing to run. So yes, that impacts your targets to a running back. Um, and you've obviously got to worry about that. James Conner's going to carry everything inside the five short down and distance. He carried hundred percent of it and whatever he doesn't do, Kyler Murray's going to do because the only inside the five attempt they had last week, Kyler Murray took that as well. So Evans is not going to score you a lot of touchdowns from in close. He's going to need to score those from, you know, further out and he's going to need to, for receptions to really be part of his game. Um, but a target rate of 16 point, uh, 16% targets per route run target percent total was 13%. So not like fabulous Ian, but I still think it puts him in the low end RB two range. And, it's, and part of it is, I just think it's a really good offense. So there's just going to be enough to keep chase Edmonds right there. And if not like he's a high end RB three, right. Or a flex play, but I think he's right there on that verge RB two RB three. I think in a more like close game, I mean, this was 38 to 13 by the end of the third quarter uh, last week against the Titans. I mean, Edmonds had the nine to eight lead in carries after three quarters. It was only in the fourth quarter that they really started just pounding James Conner into the defense, trying to grind yeah. some clock. So yeah, Chase Edmonds, absolutely low end RB2. James Conner, you know, if you're really in a pinch, I guess you can throw him in the flex. He will score some touchdowns sooner rather than later. Just not someone, you know, we're going to be thrilled about doing so. If we're not getting any targets, people, that's just tough to do in a game like fantasy football that rewards receiving backs so heavily. Next up, we got the Titans at Seahawks. I swear, if the Titans don't give us a freaking shootout here, I'm going to start getting pissed. I'm willing to write off last week, but not this one. So Seattle sitting as five-point favorites, opened at six, 53.5 game total. Vegas confident that we will see some points up there. But yeah, people, I'm not putting a ton of stock into what happened last week. The big concerning factor, though, 
was the Titans play action rate. And I've seen, you know, several analysts already throw this out. So credit to everyone for, and myself, you know, just for pointing at the obvious thing, but 11.4% play action rate. That was the second lowest mark in week one in 2020, they ranked first at 36.2%. So basically inverse Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of the play action rate, you know, just be, not being there in all 2020, now no longer being there in 2021. And since Tannehill joined the Titans in 2019, he is third in PFF passing grade and play action tied for second in yards per attempt on non-play action plays still tied for fifth in PFF passing grade tied for 14th though in yards per attempt. And that's like why I'm not super concerned. Like they're not going to be that bad every single week moving forward. AJ Brown, Julio Jones, you're going to get theirs just like Derrick Henry is going to start ripping off some big runs. The last time Derrick Henry went back to back games under hundred rushing yards was halfway through the 2019 season. Like this guy is a freak of nature in an offense that is going to continue to feed him the ball. And maybe just maybe Dwayne a little bit more often through the air, low key four targets. And Hey, you know, Derrick Henry has never had more than five targets in a game. I get it. He's not Eckler. He's not McCaffrey, but I don't know, getting that freaking dude in space, not the worst idea I've ever heard of. So Henry, AJ Brown, Julio, we're firing them all up again. And Ryan Tannehill, I will still continue to treat as a borderline QB one in hopes that week one was more of a fluke than anything. Now, Dwayne Seahawks did not look bad in week one. In fact, they look pretty damn good. Russ was cooking in Shane Waldron's system, even though they weren't throwing the ball all that much. Yeah, man. Um, it was, you know, he and um, Stafford were two of the more efficient quarterbacks on the week. Um, 11 yards per attempt, 10.9 a dot. Uh, you know, he was out there in a design rushing attempt, 12%, 7% scramble. So, you're getting a quarterback that can throw for 300 yards and also tack on 20% of a team's attempts on the ground. I mean, there's nothing you can't like, you know, about Russ. The only thing that I was a little uh, surprised with, you know, in last week's game, Ian, was just the fact that, you know, we heard all this news about the tempo, right? How much faster things were going to run. We look back at McVay, his teams are always on the top and you get Waldron coming over and, and it's all Russ is talking about in camp. It's all Lockett's talking about. It's all, you know, Shane Waldron himself is talking about and who knows what happened here, but only 2.2 plays per minute. That's not, that's, that's, that's around average, only 54 plays in the game, 54% pass, 46% run. I will say they trailed 0%. They never trailed in the game. They were only in a close game and they were only in a close score, meaning within three points, 17%, 83% of the plays they had a lead of four points or more. So that's going to, that's going to be a factor whenever you're looking at what's going on with these plays. Um, but I will say my, the antenna is like up because you always worry with a coach like Carroll, is he going to be in there to be like holding it down? Be like, ah, oh, we can't be running this fast offense. This means we're going to make mistakes and turn the ball, whatever, you know, Pete Carroll, love you. Just keep chewing your gum. Let the offensive coordinator handle offense. Um, as far as the running backs go, man, Chris Carson, love to get your thoughts on it. Ian, but RB 15. I mean, he's a low end RB one right now. He's, he's honestly, he's kind of similar to Jonathan Taylor. I'm not saying he's going to get, he's Jonathan Taylor as a player, but you got, um, you know, Rashad Penny with a calf injury. So Alex Collins is probably going to get a little bit more work. But the thing that really was intriguing to me is 100% of the long down and distance snaps. They didn't run the two-minute offense. Obviously, we just talked about how slow they were. So we don't know what's going to happen in that situation. But 100% of the long down and distance work went to Chris Carson. And he was getting those snaps already before Rashad Penny left the game. So if you're telling me that we're going to get a back that's going to get 65% of the carries in a really good offense going to be out he was in a route in 66 percent of the plays like that that's a huge number 14 percent of the targets right um 100 like i said in 
what we would we would absolutely say, look, this has to be a pass. That's long down and distance. That means third or fourth down and seven yards or more to go. You're running every time. That's why I choose those certain cuts as I go back and look. Okay, how often did the league run as a league over the last three years in this situation? And that's so it's not just arbitrary. I'm like, ah, third and seven, that's like the breaking point where pretty much it's undisputed. You're throwing, you know, you could even make the argument once you get to third and fourth, fifth, third and four to six yards that the league is much more tilted towards, you know, passing as well. But I just try to be super clear about it and be like, look, there's no way a team should be running the ball in this situation. And Carson's out there and all of those. So Carson's a guy that, you know, even though he's finished at RB 15, like I think he's going to have plenty, you know, Ian of top eight weeks inbound, you know, when he punches some touchdowns in, I I'm, I'm excited about what I saw with Carson. Obviously you're always going to have to think, you know, he runs so hard. Is he going to get dinged up here or there? But he, you know, I think you talked about it in a pot earlier. He hasn't missed near as many games is what people think. And they get in their head about Chris Carson. So um, if you drafted Chris Carson in the third or the fourth round, um, especially after you picked up an elite receiver and a tight end, I think you're feeling pretty good. Um, right now at this moment on the receivers, not going to say much. It was mostly the issue was the volume. It really looked like the old stat lines we used to see where it's like, Oh, five targets to DK five targets to Tyler. Thank God they were freaking awesome on those five targets. What I want to see this next week is I want to see that bumped up to eight targets each, right? Seven targets each and that same kind of efficiency. And then we get that potential rocket ship to the moon potential with a guy like DK or with Tyler Lockett. 100% all the way around. For those that didn't see, Rashad Penny is out at least for week two with a re-aggravated calf injury. Uh, an NFL Network's Ian Rapport reported that he is expected to be shut down for a few weeks. So, you know, that was the only mild concern with Carson going this year. And, you know, unfortunately, predictably, Penny has landed, you know, back on the, not the injured list, but he is banged up and will not be active in week two confirmed. Did you watch the uh, Peyton Eli stream from Monday Night Football? No, I didn't. Was it awesome? I, I need really to go back and watch it. it. They, had, uh, they had Russell Wilson on for the entire fourth quarter in overtime. I never thought I would really enjoy Russ. I don't know, man. I just always kind of thought he was lame. Like, I don't know. He's a great quarterback, obviously. But he was shooting the shit with Peyton and Eli, and I actually really enjoyed him out there. He was trying to give this spiel on what he thinks overtime should be, and they, like, had to cut him off before the commercial. But <laughs> it was electric television, man. I was so much more tuned in. I'm going to have to go back and check it out. I heard about it. Um, I, man, anytime I can hear Peyton Manning talk, I love it. You know, um, it's like once Brady is done and I don't want to wish that on any, I'm fine with Brady as long as he wants to play. Like that's a player like I want to hear more from too. The first play of the game, Peyton's like the first play of the season is going to tell us like, all we need to know. And like car like zips it over Waller's head and Peyton just goes six and 11. <laughs> <laughs> all right, people, Cowboys at the Chargers, LAC three point favorites. Game total was at 55 and a half, the highest in the week, opened at 52. Actually, it's tied for the highest with the uh, Chiefs Ravens, who we'll get to next. But yeah, so we didn't really break down the Cowboys game much, you know, on uh, Thursday uh, recording, we're doing a DFS show to be published on Friday this year. But just to kind of go back on the storyline, I don't know what game people were watching to think that Ezekiel Elliott is washed or bad or whatever, you know, mean adjective you want to, or verb, whatever the hell part of language we're it's talking about. It's just a pile about. on. It's all yeah. a pile on. Quit piling on, Ezekiel people. Again, 
I've said this previously in this podcast, he should have scored on the option pitch where he was one-on-one with a safety. Like you're paid $90 million. You got to win that. You got to get in the end zone. I will give him that. The play before Dak, if he puts it on his chest, it should have been a walk-in receiving touchdown. And like, this was against the Tampa Bay defense. I read you guys the list of other running backs that haven't done a single thing against them. So we knew this was going to be tough. If he could have found a way to score a touchdown on an offense that looks like they can score 30, you know, just rolling out of bed, then it would have been just, fine the big play for me man okay Zeke didn't look like the same guy we saw as a rookie just ripping off you know 60 70 yard monster runs it seemed like every week but he beat Devin White to the freaking edge man even if you know PFF maybe isn't as high on Devin White as some other you know evaluators he is you know undoubtedly one of if not the single fastest linebacker in the league so that was great to great to see from Zeke the pass protection was obviously great like just realize Dak Prescott kept checking out of runs as we found out, you know, in the report um, this week, because the situation called for it. And the Cowboys put up a lot of points, 82% snaps for Zeke. Tony Pollard is not making this a 60, 40 split. That was the concern. It's not the case. Continue to fire up Zeke as a weekly top five running back and Cooper and CD lamb, man. I know everyone already had CD in your wide receiver one range. Now you got to get on the same boat that I've been on since April. Both of these guys are wide receiver ones. Tied for first with the most first read targets in the league with 14. Absolute madness. Number four and number five in air yards, respectfully. We'll see where they fall in the rankings. You know, I don't know that we can necessarily fire them up in the top five, but man, Dwayne, they're definitely going to be top 10 moving forward. Again, this offense can put up 30 in their sleep. And now without Michael Gallup in the fold, I just think things are going to be even more condensed around them. So Cedric Wilson, someone that I think is fine. If you want to try to pick him up and you're really desperate in a deeper league and put him in the flex, but Noah Brown was inactive for that game. I do think we're going to see more of a rotation at that wide receiver three spot, maybe even more two tight end stuff with uh, Jarwin and Dalton Schultz. So for now, Zeke Cooper, CD, all RB ones and wide receiver ones, obviously Dak's a top five talent and yeah, that's it. It's great. We have the fancy friendly offense we thought was there. It's unfortunate that Dak's arm maybe looks 80, 85% of what it should be. I would also just say like Dak, he has a good arm, but it's not like he's always just been known for this guy with a rocket launcher. Anyway, it's strong enough for him to put up freaking 400 plus yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The last time we saw them made Patrick freaking Mahomes look more mortal than he ever has been. So to me, week one, didn't paint any bad news for this Cowboys offense as much as people want to try to wanted to try to overreact to the first game of the year. Continue to feel great about Zeke. I think everyone does feel great about Zeke, Dwayne. I think it's just fancy analysts yelling in their own mirror about, oh, you know, buy high on Ezekiel Elliott. Who the hell is selling Ezekiel Elliott for, you know, pennies at this point? I don't think anyone, and I'm tired of that storyline. So now that I got that off my chest, tell me, Dwayne, about a Los Angeles Chargers offense that, holy shit, they might actually have a great offensive line now. Yeah, yeah, they're looking really good. The thing that was most encouraging me, encouraging to me about week one is I was just concerned, like, how often are they going to throw the ball? You're installing more of that wide zone scheme. You're going to install the passing concepts from the Saints offense. Two offenses that we've seen really be more of a, like, a, a what I would call, if you're playing Madden, it'd be the pass balance playbook, Ian. You know, you'd be like 55-45 type of thing. Nice. And, you know, they threw the ball 62% of the time with a lead, and they led on 52% of the plays in the game. Uh, 48, The other 48% of the plays were close. 
close. So within three points and they passed on 67% of those. So those are two really good marks. So it does look like Herbert is going to continue to drop back and sling it. Um, Oslin Eckler wasn't targeted in this game. I do think he's obviously limited due to the hamstring. So I really wouldn't read too much into that folks. He was out there on 50% of the routes, handled 50% of the rushing attempts, um, you know, hundred percent of the attempts inside the five, which was a nice little positive. So if all of a sudden Eckler gets back and he's healthy and he's also getting the work inside the five, that was the one big question people had. Was he going to get that work inside the five? And if he does, and he's healthy in the next three or four weeks and the way this offense looks like it could really get going, man, you could be talking about a top five running back, which is what you were hoping for. If you were taking him at the end of the first round, early second round um, back in August and in early September, um, as far as the receivers go, I already, already issued one apology to Mike Williams, but I'll issue one more because now I have more data to back it up. And for those of you who don't know, and you're not going to go back and listen, but I don't really care. I, I just have to own this. I said, Mike Williams sucks on the pregame show on Sunday. And so Mike Williams, did, he did a great job, like um, 85% of the routes, 27% of the targets tied for the team lead with Keenan Allen, um, eight out of 10 instead of 25. So he's working more intermediate, not just being the guy to run off coverage and catch balls down the field, led the team in air yards with 30 and led the team in end zone targets with 40%, something that we know he can do. I remember the year three years ago where he went nuts and caught like 11 touchdowns, even though he wasn't being targeted that much. And then the next year, right, his ADP shot way up and he kind of let everybody down with an injury. But this could this could be a good, it could be a good year, you know, for Mike Williams. When I was on the pod with Bloom, you know, he brought up how much money they paid him just to have him back for a year. And even though it's a one-year contract, um, you know, six right. I mean, there is something to that. So maybe this is the year for Mike Williams. It's it's really hard for players to have the yards per uh, route run that he's had and not be able to break out, especially for top 40 picks. But maybe this is a year. And there's always years that there's always that's the beauty of this game. Right. Just when you think, you know, it, you know, these things we use, they're guidelines, you know, they're not hard and fast predictors of what's going to happen. We're just trying to play the odds on this stuff for you guys and give you the best insight that we can. But really, you know, the stuff we're using is not predictive in the end, right? It's not like we've built out some algorithm that knows Mike Williams is going to do X, Y, Z. Like we don't know, but really there's no one else. So, um, but we do have the best data. So we tried, we really try to bring that through in the analysis. Um, you know, uh, so for Williams, it was just, it was a nice game for him. Uh, liked what he did. You know, he finished his wide receiver 14. I didn't upgrade for last night's games, but, but through Monday night, he was sitting at wide receiver 14 for the week and you were getting him in the ninth to 11th round in your draft. So you can feel pretty good about him. I think he is a wide receiver three um, with a little bit of upside on top of that moving forward. Now he will immediately disappoint us next week and then we'll come back on and I'll revert to my old take. And I'll say that I never said any of these things. Also want to give a thank you to Keenan Allen, who was my first helicopter DFS long shot of the season. Didn't find the end zone. I'm not counting it as a win, but he did get a hundred yards, nine catches. Certainly didn't blow up your lineup. Helicopter didn't away. crash though. Didn't crash. It didn't quite make it to the destination. You know, we had to pull off halfway there, but didn't crash at least. So 13 targets on the game. We will keep reading this long list of his targets with Justin Herbert until it goes south. Targets in 12 non-injury shortened games with Justin Herbert. 19, 19, 13, 13, 12, 11, 11, 11, 11, 10, 10, and 7. Keep firing Keenan Allen up as a top 10 fantasy receiver. He was born to be. Sunday night football, we got the Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens. KC opened at two and a half. Now they're up to four points. Game total sitting at a tied for the lead with the Cowboys at 55 and a half. So Tyreek Hill has 74% of the offense's air yards, which is absolutely bonkers. 
the wide receiver one at this point. You know, maybe Devontae gets a nice bounce back, but as long as Mahomes is just going to feed Tyreek Hill to his heart's desire, we need Hill to be the undisputed wide receiver one that, hey, maybe he should have been the entire offseason. I was still giving Devontae the benefit of the doubt, you know, thinking Rodgers was always going to be back. I bumped him off, you know, during the kind of thick of the hoopla when it seemed like Jeopardy was a realistic case, but alas, you know, that turned out to not be the case. And yeah, also a fun uh, tidbit. They had a uh, Travis Kelsey on the second quarter, maybe second or third quarter of the Manning stream. And they were talking to Kelsey and Peyton asked Kelsey. Um, he's like, Hey, so when you're watching these games, are you like actually trying to, you know, steal signals? You just kind of looking at it as a fan. And Kelsey uh, goes like, Oh, it just kind of depends on the opponent. And um, he's like, if it's an AFC West team, maybe I'm a little more tuned in. And he's like, for this one, you know, with us having the chargers next week, I'm not too worried about it. And then he like caught himself and he goes, Oh, wait a second. We actually do play the Ravens next week. So I probably should be looking at this more. <laughs> the Chiefs don't even care who they're playing because they put up points against freaking everyone. And if you thought Baltimore had a hard time guarding Darren Waller, I don't know what is going to happen when they go up against Travis Kelsey. And they're just down guys at this point. Marcus Peters. I think Humphrey got hurt during that game last night, which isn't good. I mean, these I mean, Jimmy Smith is banged up or he's on another team at this point. Like all those great cornerbacks that we knew made up the Ravens for the better part of the last two or three years it's just problematic because they're not healthy enough to get out there at the moment so i'm sure you know they'll perform fine enough compared to you know most defenses against the chiefs but as we see they put up freaking 30 plus in their sleep i don't expect that to change Final point, I'll just talk about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 74% snap rate, 14 of the 15 rushes and three targets. We're just seeing like some of the same problems the Bills running backs have, man. Like since week one of last season, the Chiefs running backs are 26th and carries inside the five-yard line, and they're only 17th in targets. So like we're not getting the same sort of offense that enabled Jamal Charles and Kareem Hunt to, you know, these exceptional highs over the years. I'm not saying Clyde couldn't get a little more involved in the passing game moving forward, but for right now, I do think we need to keep him kind of as that upside RB2 as opposed to throwing him in the top five, top six, where we're used to seeing Andy Reid's overall RB1. So I know he didn't find the end zone. I thought he did look good, though, and from a tackle-breaking perspective, and I think better days will be ahead once we finally get a few of those touchdowns for the RB1 and probably the single best offense in the league. So, Dwayne, the Ravens. Ooh, his backfield's messy, man. We know Lamar is going to be giving us his, you know, even in that game last night with two fumbles, we had the 86 rushing yards or whatever, and he was just fine. But man, oh man, what is going on? Why did Tyson Williams see, uh, give away so much usage to Latavius Murray in the second half? Yeah, man, I think it's a great question. Uh, you know, he, he started off the game hot. You know, if you look at the PFF rushing grade, he clearly graded, you know, better than Latavius Murray for the game with a 70.7 versus a 59.8. But it's like you said, it was it was almost like they thought Murray was their hammer for the second half. And I was kind of like, well, like you're not, it's not like you're just icing a game here. Like you're still in a competitive game that you're trying to win. Oh, by the way, which you lost. Um, so yeah, Lamar Jackson did lead, lead the team in the attempts, but it's concerning because um, Tyson had the chance to really kind of like assert himself and take the backfield. And these, it's one of those things, Ian, where it's like, we don't ever know, like, everything that's going on behind the scenes and what the coaches have seen in practice and what are the conversations going on on the sideline, all this stuff that bakes into it. But for whatever reason, they felt Murray was the guy that they needed to use down the stretch at the end of the game when it was at the most important time. And that's concerning. So what I think we're probably going to see, you know, and last week I, my thought was, look, it's the one chance to have a Ravens back actually see 50 to 60% of the attempts. And he was on his way to it. 
but then it didn't happen. So it's either one of two things. He did something in the game they didn't like, or number two, they just really are that committed to like, we don't pound anyone back. We're going to rotate no matter who they are. Um, and either one of those things, I feel like that's not good for Tyson Williams. So, um, you know, if you went and you spent a lot of free agent, you know, uh, of your, of your fab money last week on Williams, obviously it's not like you're going to turn around and release the guy. He's still in a good offense folks. Um, even if he's just really more in a role, like what we thought Gus Edwards was about to be in and still sharing some time with Latavius Murray, that can still be fruitful for you in fantasy. It's just doesn't have the potential shine that we thought it may have had, you know, 24 hours ago before we saw the game last night, heck, you could go back, you know, to the end of the first half and we felt like things were looking, you know, really good. As far as the rest of the Ravens go, um, you know, man, Mark Andrews signed the big contract, you know, and then it's, it's like immediately, you know, right out of the gate, doesn't get to do a lot, only targeted four times, he in three receptions. Um, so it's, but we've seen this with Andrews before. Here's the thing though. I'm mostly concerned. I'm mostly, you know, excited about Andrews because 34 receiving snaps. So that's pretty good. When you look at what it was from a Ravens perspective, he was out there most of the time during, um, you know, the, during the passing plays, which is something that we always want to be looking at. So I think, you know, with Andrews, look, you're going to have to kind of live with that a little bit, but um, I mean, Actually, yeah. What is it? Uh, 36 passing plays for the team. And Andrews was out there for 34% of the routes. Andrews has never had that in. He's always been more of like in that 70% range. I mean, he's up in the 90% range. We've talked about the formula for tight ends. He has half of it right now. Now he just needs to get the targets, which we know he can do. He's done it his whole career. It's not like Mark Andrews is not going to be good. So while he may have had kind of a little bit of a dud, not a little bit, he had a dud first game. He's a guy you got to continue to start. Uh, two other players I'll call out really quickly in the passing game. You got Sammy Watkins, who is out there, same amount, 34 uh, of the 36 passing plays by the Ravens. Uh, and then you had Marquise Brown, who managed to also get into the end zone. Marquise Brown, constant, uh, his streak of looking really good on week one continues, despite the fact that he was limited late into camp. So um, for me, I still think this offense is about Andrews and Marquise Brown. Those are the two players in, on the Ravens from a path passing perspective that I would really you know be the most willing to own. And I guess the last thing just to say here, you know, it's 36 um, passing plays out of 63 plays total. That's high for the Ravens. You know, for most offenses, you would look at that and go like, oh, my gosh, like they run the ball all the time. Actually, for the Ravens, you know, they actually threw the ball on more than half of their plays. Um, and there's weeks where they throw the ball on 40 percent of their plays. So it's just something I've kind of been looking at, you know, Ian, like, you know, you've gotten rid of Hayden Hurst. You didn't really sign another tight end to come in. Now Mark Andrews all of a sudden is running routes all the time. You're not rotating him. You draft a first-round receiver this, this year. You, you, you go grab Sammy Watkins. You get a first-round receiver two years ago in Marquise Brown. You draft Devin DuVernay in the second or third round last year. Miles Boykin the year before that in the second round. Like I wonder, do they really want to be, you know, they want to be this exotic team that can run and do all these things, but it's almost like, are they trying to build their team to like evolve into this other thing where they could actually let Lamar throw more? And so just something to kind of keep an eye on. I know 36 out of uh, 63 doesn't seem like a lot to most of you, but for the Ravens, that's a pretty decent number. Shout out Hollywood Brown has caught a touchdown and or surpassed 80 receiving yards in nine consecutive games going back to last year. Only thing I would say with Tyson Williams, the blocking could have had something to do with it, man. In the yeah. 
Yeah. Late in the third quarter, he missed one pretty bad that led to a Lamar sack. And then in overtime, it looks like he kind of missed up his chip that led to the Lamar Jackson fumble. So I am not the, you know, aficionado on running back pass protection, you know, assignments and all that. I could be off on a little bit. That would make sense if that was part of the issue. And also shout out Sammy Watkins, your week one God. Uh, Scott Barrett had a cool uh, stat over fantasy points. Over the past three seasons, regular uh, season, Sammy Watkins has just three games with at least 65 receiving yards. They came in week one 2019, week one 2020, and week one 2021. Keep being you, Sammy. Final game, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us this whole way. I think I said in the beginning of the pod, Dwayne, like if we went through everything, we'd go over two hours. And hey, fuck it. We went over two hours anyway. So Lions at Packers, Monday Night Football, Green Bay, 11-point favorites, game total at 48 and a half. Let's go, Jared Goff. Screw those wide receivers. Screw your vacated targets. We're condensing this around the good players in the offense. The most targets around among running backs right now on this day, September 14th. DeAndre Swift with 11, Jamal Williams with nine, and Christian McCaffrey with nine. Jared Goff, 6.3-yard average target depth. He's throwing the ball to his running backs and TJ Hawkinson, and we should love it. So DeAndre Swift, one of Dwayne's big takeaways from the utilization report was in full PPR settings, we're looking at legit RB1 people. Again, targets historically are worth 2.7 times the amount that one carry is. Just again, it's a weird game. Why are targets worth that much more? I don't know, but it's the game we play. And Jamal Williams getting nine, even if that number is like cut in half, man, if we're looking at 15 to 20 potential carries and targets per week, I don't care if the Lions offense isn't going to score 30 plus every single game. He is going to be maybe the single best flex with benefits uh, guy in that kind of tier three, or I should say the RB3 range. So honestly, Swift needs to be in every starting lineup. I think Williams is probably going to give you more of a floor than a lot of these other flexes. TJ Hawkinson, top five, if not top. Didn't you say you put him at tight end four now? Like if you can do um, it over again? Oh, no, no, no. You lot. said you put Kyle Pitts at four. Yeah, but man, they're interchangeable close, to me yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah it's, it's tomato, tomato, like you, both guys. And then I think the other guy jumping up right behind them now is Higby. Yeah. So mad game if you guys didn't see it it was 41 to 17 with like two minutes and 30 seconds left and somehow the lions had the ball down eight with a chance to uh go ahead and tie it so absolutely ridiculous you know everybody just wanted the lions to dust shanahan after what he did to everybody in fantasy the day for the day <laughs> that would have been so fantastic but yeah george kittle let a non-side kick go off his helmet debo samuel took a bad hop on him yeah bad hop <laughs> Debo Samuel fumbled after picking up the first down just wild. So I, you know, I think some of these target totals are a little bit inflated, but with that said, that's where the offense wants to go with the ball. Like all the screens they had going, like a lot of these were designed looks as well. So Swift Williams Hawkinson, thank you, Detroit. I think we might just have three viable fancy guys when, you know, a week ago, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was only one. So good news in Detroit in terms of fantasy land and, you know, good luck in that number one overall pick that you guys are fighting with the Jaguars and Texans for ahead of 2022. Now, Dwayne, let's talk about maybe the single most disappointing team from last week, you know, depending on what you're judging it. But my goodness, the Packers got railroaded by the Saints. I am kind of think approaching this like the Titans where I'm kind of inclined to throw it out and call it a fluke. How do you feel? Yeah, look, you have to watch out for these teams that rely so heavily on their run game when all of a sudden it isn't working. And they believe, these teams do, 
that if my run game is not working, my play action game won't work, which is wrong. Someone in their analytics department needs to tell them, Kill, still keep showing play action because linebackers, they have to fill, right? They have to take a step based on what happens and the way they read the offensive line and their keys to make sure they seal a lane. And so as soon as they see that, they have to, unless their coaches have done like what Bill Belichick did in the Super Bowl um, against the Rams, and he adjusted for that and said, look, we're not going to overreact to that because we just want to basically dare Todd Gurley to beat us because they thought he was iced and they just didn't want to give up the plays, you know, in the passing game. And so when you look at this offense, they played from behind on 72 or 88 percent of the plays. So when you're on an offense that just has Devontae Adams and I'm sorry, I like you, Adam Lazard. I like you, MVS. I like you, Robert Tanyan. But look. Without Aaron Rodgers, I mean, those guys really aren't very good. And so all of a sudden, you're a one-dimensional offense. All you have to do is worry about Devontae Adams as good as he is. And Aaron Jones, as good as he is, he's only a running back. So he can't do everything else. And then the script took part of what he is good at away from him. So that same thing happened to the Titans. Um, it's the same kind of thing that can happen to a lot of these offenses that are really based around the run. You can see it with the Browns, all this kind of stuff. So... I think that's what happened, and it was exposed. Um, so the Packers use less play action, still 21%. But Aaron Rodgers, 4.8 yards per attempt, like that, man, you don't see that, you know, from Aaron Rodgers. Um, the thing I'll say here, I know a lot of folks, because I had Aaron Jones number four in the rankings, so I'm getting a lot of DMs about, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, I took Aaron Jones. He's going to be sucks, Dwayne. Um, what do I do? And so I'm going to say a word. Relax. <laughs> Got him. So here's him. Here, here's the here's the deal with Aaron Jones that you guys need to know. I'm gonna I'm gonna hook you up right here. So he did not play in the fourth quarter. Why? Because I just told you the Packers were getting destroyed and they're like, screw it. This game's over. We're losing. We don't want Jones hurt. We don't want Aaron Rodgers hurt. We don't want Devontae Adams hurt. Okay. So they were all out of the game. Before that, if you look at that, he played 74% of the snaps through the first three quarters. He handled 63% of the rushing attempts. He's been stuck down, you know, around that 50 to 55, 57% of the routes where he had been stuck around a 40%. He had 12% of the targets in that stretch and 18% targets per route run rate, which is really good for a back. You want to, if you get up between 18 and 22, you're rocking. Um, and 50% of the long down and distance work. So I think he's going to be the two minute back, just like I thought before. I know people see when you just look at it, you're like, well, Kylan Hill got in there. Most of Kylan Hill's work came in the fourth quarter, folks. All of it except one snap came all in. but one snap. Yeah. So, I mean, we basically say all of it happened except, you know, the one snap. So it's a situation where you still should feel bullish on Aaron Jones. And if you've got an owner in your league, because some people do, you guys know who these people are. I mean, just like with the Zeke thing, you know, we, we, Ian and I think nobody's going to sell Zeke low, but I mean, you know, your league, some people don't have the stomach for, Oh my God, I've had one bad week. So, you know, who those owners are and they're nervous Nellies and they're in your league. So you go kick the tires on it for sure. But Aaron Jones, I think you have a story you can potentially tell you because people don't dig into this stuff. All they see is, well, number one, they probably don't know the snaps, but if they did, they're like, Oh my God, three way backfield. God, this Colin Hill guy is a problem now, man. Aaron Jones, man, Aaron Jones is screwed. You took him in the first round. Um, so that's the way I would treat the Aaron Jones situation. The Lions have allowed in their last seven games, 41 points, 37, 47, 46, 31, 30, most recently, 41 points. We're going to see a hell of a bounce back next Monday night. Again, yes. Like Dwayne said, relax. And 
you can now relax listening to someone else. I'm going to let Dwayne get back to his wife and kids who I'm sure by the day are becoming more and more frustrated with me, always stealing dad and hubby for hours at a time to talk fantasy. But you know what, Dwayne? It's PFF for you. And we got to Here's my job. Here's the job. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Got to do the job. I will get back to PFF Lily. Make sure she has all the treats and hopefully hasn't peed everywhere like she does. <laughs> That's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. For Dwayne McFarlane, I'm Ian Harditz. And until next time, take care, everybody.